0: Liftoff.
1: We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past
2: the hour. Tower
3: cleared. we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO consciousness podcast thank you for taking time from your life to be here
4: well thanks great cameron now you guys may know from white house ufo on youtube or the paranormal ufo consciousness uh or many of his books he's a researcher ufologist he's been on Hangar one ancient aliens he's researched the phenomenon from songs to presidents to consciousness uh everybody give a big round of applause for grant thanks for being here man how are you
3: i'm doing just fine justin thanks for having me on i appreciate it
4: uh we appreciate you coming on here man uh for for a lot of us i feel like you're you're kind of somebody that we really look up to and and can find a lot of information from you've You've done a lot of research into this field and answered a lot of questions for yeah, us. Yeah,
3: well, go ahead. I've done uh, done the disclosure. I've done the consciousness. I've done uh, a lot of different things, and uh, so just go where you want to go, and um, hopefully, I can help you solve some of the things, or maybe add to what you've got already.
4: Yeah. Um, so, I guess, I guess, um, what what I want to know in you've you've had a couple things about it you've said what the hell is
3: going on yeah and (laughs) second night i thought that's my question what the hell's going on
4: (laughs) well yeah i want to know what the hell you think is going on to be honest um because you know it seems to me like this is more of a consciousness issue than it really is an extraterrestrial issue
3: yeah, I just did a lecture called uh what I learned in forty-six years of UFO school, and basically what I've come to the conclusion is it was definitely not what I thought it was. When I first saw it the first night, and this goes back to May of nineteen seventy-five, um the I the only reason I went out um is because um if you if you remember the the Nimitz story of the UFO dropping from eighty thousand feet down to sea level in seven eighths of a second. That actually happened here. It happened on camera. It was caught on camera. It was going the other way. It was going from the ground up to about five thousand feet in one eighth of a second. It was caught on film, and what had happened was this uh, small town was seeing these UFOs, and I had um, said to my friends, "Let's go out and see what they're talking about," and uh, we didn't. Uh, we didn't go, and then they caught this film. the The local TV station. And at that point I just said, "Come on, let's let's go see." And I thought it was like, you know, the you buy the lottery ticket, you think you're going to win. You got a chance to win, but you know you're not going to win. You're not going to see anything. Everybody else sees it. When we go out there and ride, there's not going to be anything there. And the thing flew right in front of the car the first night. The second night it came directly at me and then it sort of made this um turn and went off into the into the north and what happened in my 46 years is I suddenly realized things that would occur to me 20 or 30 or 40 years later that suddenly, oh, I know what that was about. I didn't get it all at first. And When I saw that thing moving off in the Northeast, I thought to myself, wow, this is pretty cool. That, that's probably an extraterrestrial from another planet. And I, I got to see this thing. And then I thought this thing, of like, but what the hell is it doing? It's not doing anything. It's just like flying along. It's not doing anything. And it was in this small town. And that was the important part was this small town was a town of about two thousand people, and it had nothing. It had literally nothing. It was a small farming town, wheat fields around it, flat as can be, no industry, no nothing. And I was thinking to myself, like, what's it doing in Carmen? Like, because it was very clear the the first two nights I saw it that this was definitely a UFO. But I assumed, like everybody else, that this was extraterrestrial, and uh, you know, I got honored to see this thing. And um, I, I went for the citing thing, so I did a, a manuscript, nobody would publish the manuscript about what all these other people in the town were seeing, a lot of people were seeing it. And then what happened was, um, I figured, well, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, and these citing things don't seem to go anywhere, because you know, they're, they're interesting stories, people like to hear them. But in terms of answering it, I, I was still in a sort of a quandary as to what what this is all about. So then that's when I started to do the search, and I went through all the different government agencies. I went to the k government first. That led me to uh, Dr. Eric Walker at Penn State University, who knew what was going on. And that led me to the President of the United States. And then the President of the United States, that led me to high-level intelligence people. And what I did for 46 years is what I tried to do is I tried to find the highest-level person that I could find and just quietly sit and listen to what these people were saying. And I figured somebody's got to know what's going on. Somebody, Somebody's got to have some... And I did pick up a few clues along the way as to what was going on. But as I pointed out in this lecture, the more I went along, um, the more it changed. And and it, I would never have believed that where I would be where I am today in terms of what I believe compared to what I believed in 1975. And I always point this out to people, and I don't think they really realize, unless you've been in this for 46 years, you don't realize that this phenomenon is changing constantly. And the the bring example I always bring up is, if you remember, Stanton Friedman always talks about the the, the, the trace cases, the hard evidence, 4,000 trace cases. And these are where UFOs will come on the ground and they land and they leave tripod marks. And there's little beings running around with little, uh, you know, wands in their hand and stuff like this. That hasn't happened for 25 years. I mean, that that was big when I was in when in the Carmen in 1975, I had, I think, 10 cases within about 20 miles of that of that town where things would land and they would swirl uh, corn like real high, you know, seven, eight foot tall corn uh, down to the ground and little footprints and stuff like that. And so what happened over the 46 years It kept changing. And as you pointed out, it came to this consciousness thing and all of my events. I would say that all the major events that I had that changed my opinion as to what was going on all happened without me asking. I didn't really figure out anything. So I I I, I didn't intend to see a UFO. I had no interest in UFOs or extraterrestrials. I never even thought about it. Only went out because everybody in this town was seeing this thing. And I thought, well, you know, rather than drive around the city, let's go out and see what they're looking at. And then the next big event that happened to me um, was the 2012 event where I'm watching Colin Andrews And Colin Andrews, uh, the only reason I went in the lecture, I had no intention. I wasn't interested in crop circles because he was a prominent guy. So I thought, ah, go watch, see this guy. And there was a big controversy that he had just come forward and said, 80% of the crop circles are hoaxed and 20% are real. And I thought, wow, this is pretty controversial. I'm going to go see because there was this big dispute about what he was saying. And so I went into that lecture and he was talking about consciousness and crop circles. And the fact that he believed that 20% were being done by whatever the intelligence is, and the 80% are done by hoaxers, but they're also being told what to do by the by the intelligence, that, they, that the, con- the consciousness was running the whole thing, that everybody was being told what they're doing. And I thought, that was kind of weird. And then this thing popped into my head, uh, all these high-level people that had talked that I'd listened to over the years that basically put these three pieces together in my head that basically made this massive shift towards consciousness. And I can say, when it happened, I always make this joke, when that consciousness thing happened, in 2012, I could not have spelled consciousness and I couldn't have cared less. I had no—I didn't even know what it was. I mean, I had no idea what what this was in my head. But basically what it put in my head was three things. One is, um, as I said, I, I started with the Canadian government, what the Canadian government was doing in the 1950s. And if you know, the Canadian government wrote one of the only top secret memos ever written on UFOs. There's actually two of them. We just have a book coming out called, um, I'm not pretty sure what it's called, Canadian UFO um story the wilbur smith files it's coming out within the next week and in there i have the two top secret memos the first one was the big one which is where wilbur smith who's running the canadian project goes down to the united states and he's interested in the phenomena he starts asking questions and high-level officials because he's a high-level official in canada start telling him what was going on and he writes in this top secret memo I we had, we had conversations with high-level government officials, and I was told flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. There's a small group headed by Dr. Vandervar Bush who's trying to figure out what's going on. The subject is of tremendous significance to the Americans. And then what came into my head in that, 2000, that 2012, February 26th lecture was the next line. It said, and we were also told by American officials that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. The Americans aren't doing very well because they've said if we're working on the project, they're willing to exchange credentials and talk to us. So that was the first piece. The second piece that came into my head was Dr. Eric Walker. I think the interview was 1990 or 1991. We're asking him about MJ-12. Is it still just 12 guys? Is it uh, international? And he was always talking rhymes and riddles, and we never knew what he was talking about. And he said, let me ask you a question. And then the guy in Great Britain was interviewing and he said, what? He said, what do you know about ESP? And then the guy in Great Britain said, "Well, and he didn't really know anything. know, didn't really know how it fit in or whatever." He said, "Look, unless you understand about ESP and how it works, you will not be taken in by the control group. Very few people understand how it works." So that's the second thing that popped in my head. So it was the same thing, was this consciousness thing, and I thought it was consciousness. It turned out it was non-local consciousness. But the third thing was the famous speech that was given by Ben Rich, Lockheed Lockheed Skunkworks president, when he was retiring at UCLA in 1993, where Jan Hartson hears him say, stand up and say, we've discovered the mistake in the equation. And, uh, this, this idea that, um, you know, we've got the tech, we, we got the technology. It's not going to take a lifetime to do. And Jan Hartson is, has, is an experiencer. He had this experience with his brother in the backyard when he was nine years old or whatever. And he wanted to be an enge- an electrical engineer because he was going to build a flying saucer. And so he goes running after Ben Rich as he's leaving the building and said, Ben, I've, I've been fascinated with my thing this whole life. I want to build a flying saucer. I need to know how do they get here? How does the propulsion system work? And Ben turns around and says exactly. to to the word, what Eric Walker said. Let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And then he said, it means everything in time and space is connected. Then Rich said, that's how it works. Walks out of the room, gets in his car and drives off and dies shortly after from cancer. Uh, So that's how it sort of moved with me. Um, And then I had the, which I don't talk about very much, is this 2017, a, a major download where it basically went through all the different things in reality, which says, not only have you got it wrong, it is exactly the opposite of what you think it is. You think you know what's going on. You haven't got a clue how reality works. And that's what I always try to point out to people now in my latest lectures is that anomalies, the UFO thing is an anomaly. And the main thing about that thing is that anomaly is the fact that it's telling you you got something wrong. You think, as it was described to me, you got all the building blocks. You think all the building blocks are raw, are right. They're not some of your building blocks are wrong. You're trying to put in a puzzle with puzzle pieces from another puzzle. It's not going to work. You have to get it right. And the anomaly tells you something is wrong. And so that's where I sort of uh, went. And I started to realize this consciousness thing was where it went. And even today um, we we can talk about this UAP task force. Um, These guys have missed the boat again, not that they intentionally did it, but they're, they're on a different track. And I actually put it on, I have a, Somebody started a Grant Cameron News Network thing on Facebook. So people post on there. And I posted actually the link to this. And I actually posted this fact that I think the UAP task force is going down the, the wrong road as to, as to what they're doing. And uh, Bob McGuire, who was with the Institute for Defense Analysis, uh, actually came on and he basically said, um, science is leaving these guys behind. Uh, there's a new consciousness discovery every day now bob mcguire was with the institute for defense analysis which is very, very powerful. When I heard he was with the Institute for Defense Analysis, I knew this was the real deal guy because Dr. Eric Walker was the chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis. We had done this in the 1990s. That's where Jason came from, the famous Jason group of all the physicists that worked on nuclear problems during the Vietnam War and all these they, these very, very smart physicists that they, they pull aside and give them problems to work on. And that's where DARPA came from, out of the Institute for Defense Analysis. And Eric Walker was the chairman of the board, and and when I heard that that Bob McGuire was w- was brought into the Institute Finance Defense, Defense Analysis, I knew he was he was the real deal. He was a major major player, and that's what he said today. So you you see this over and over again, and if you listen very closely, you will hear this over and over again. One of the stories that uh, I can bring up is Tom DeLong, If you know the story of Tom DeLong, where he gets brought into Lock, Lockheed Skunk Works. And he's talking uh, before uh Robert Weiss comes out of the room, him and another guy, two two guys and him are talking and they're confronting him about his uh his uh, conspiracy. What's this conspiracy garbage you got up on the web? And he's trying to talk his way out of that. And then the head scientist says to him, Look, I just want to know, how did they get here? How does that, how does this work? And because Tom DeLong had hung around with Stephen Greer and Stephen Greer was into consciousness, Tom DeLong said, Oh, I think consciousness is involved. And he said, The head scientist said, now you're talking. And that's all he wanted to talk about for 45 minutes. So as you listen carefully, you can hear these little things that you don't really pick up. But when I hear it, I go, oh, there's another little thing that that is, I think, the ground of being. And I think um, we've sort of missed the boat because science is, is, is moved into a situation where before the World War II, I pointed this out a couple of times in the last couple of months, before World War II, Science was into exploration. So when you had Einstein and Bohr and, and Schrodinger and all these guys, when they had these bizarre things like the the dual slit experiment and all, all this kind of stuff, spooky action and distance, they were trying to figure out what were the philosophical implications. What does this mean? What does this mean? And what happened was World War II came along. And as Walker and these guys pointed out, what happened there was what was called dollar a year, man. So during World War II, uh, all of science changed in terms of what happened was instead of sending scientists to war, with guns on their on their shoulder, what they would do is they would bring them in as dollar-a-year men, and they were the guys that developed all the technology. So they would spend their time developing the homing torpedo, jet engines, plastics, explosives, synthetic rubber, nylon, uh, radar. There was 200 inventions during World War II that came out, and that's when science made the shift from exploration to exploitation. The old idea, shut up and calculate. you got the formulas, just build technology. And that's what's happened today, I think, they, where we We've sort of gone off the track is everybody's into technology and a lot of tech, a lot of uh, funding done today is not done for basic research is done by corporations and they want a return on investment. So they want you to say, what can, what can you produce for us to get us our money back? So, Everything today is about technology. Everybody's into, uh, you know, what's this thing made out of? How does it fly? You know, how can we, uh, you know, grab this thing and 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 use it against, uh, you know, for, for weapons or to uh, make money on patents? And people don't realize how much money is involved. There's a couple of UFO patents that have come out that people made huge money on. So that's what it's all about today. It's not about basic research. It's not about trying to figure out. I, and I would say right now that the UAP Task Force does not care where the, the UFOs are from. They do not care why they're here. They're just interested in one thing, the metal and the technology. What is this all about? What's the technology about? Can we develop this technology? Have the Russians got the technology? Is China got the technology? And how can we use it for our benefit?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We just have to get Grant started, you know, that's
3: all. Right. (laughs) It's, it's all inspiration that's what i told you alan like where do the words come that like, go that come into your head where are they coming from i keep saying to people that's yeah. all channeling we're all channeling it's you, you, you know you start a sentence and at the end of the sentence uh you're, you're going to still be talking in five minutes and you don't know where the words are coming from they just come into your head and you just sit there and repeat what comes in your head so I, i'm channeling <laughs> well that's <good.
2: laughs> that's pure consciousness thanks great Hey,
3: yeah, it's just at a little bit of a lower level than some channelers. Some channelers are really good. I'm just sort of uh, still more in the physical world.
5: Hey, who's up? You're, you're up, Don. Go ahead. Experience,
0: you you have a question? Yeah, I do. How you doing, Grant? Uh, thanks for hopping on tonight. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. So you, you said something that struck me, which is kind of what I've been feeling when it came comes to anything uh, where the government or military is researching this. Um, yeah. It's it's for those reasons that you really said. Uh, it's not for anything past where they're from, what their intentions. It's more, let's get a hold of this thing. What can we do to have it benefit us? Yeah. How, how, can we, how can we weaponize it? And yeah. So forth. Now, I feel like that's where it is now. The Now, back in the day when you when you started looking at this um, after, I guess, what, Vietnam, you, you were yeah. taking this. To, the, where do you feel like they were at that point? Because I feel like actually it was just a complete mystery, right? It was just, the, we don't know what this is. Let's try and figure it out back from the 40s. And then as you go on through, uh, you know, ending of World War II and then into Vietnam War, Gulf War. Now we're kind of like fiends for this, you know, for finding new technology. Um, yeah. but, but like back then, where do you feel like, where do you think this, like, where did it start transforming into this this need for, or this race for uh, trying to get technologically more advanced and, and weaponize this stuff?
3: Well, World War II is where it started. But uh, one of the stories that, that I I just heard the rumor, and it makes sense, is that when they shut down Blue Book, the reason they shut Blue Book down is the sightings were like a PR nightmare. And that's when the story was that Nixon moved it to the contractors. So they moved this thing into the contractor world, uh, into the black ops to try to to get it. But I, I have my Facebook page, which is White House uh, Presidential UFO is my Facebook. I just posted an interview today that was done by Dr. Eric Davis. Now, I knew Dr. Eric Davis back 20 years ago when he was just leaving NIDS and I was sort of in this group of listening very carefully until I opened my mouth. And then they sort of excommunicated me, kicked me out uh, of all these high level guys that work for NIDS. And NIDS was trying to figure out all this this, this kind of stuff. Now, I just posted an interview that was uh, put up by Jeff Kingsbury, who runs um, uh, Strange Recon podcast. And his friend of mine have done his podcast. He's done mine. And he posted an interview by Dr. Eric Davis, which uh, was done by Alejandro Rojas a number of years ago. And I've quoted from this interview a number of times, but I would suggest you listen to this interview. It's on my presidential UFO Facebook today. And in that interview, Eric Davis talks about uh, what he's talked about a number of times. And he clearly specifies, like when he's talking about Lazar, he said Lazar's full of it. Lazar's making this stuff up. He's a total liar. The technology is not even at, uh, the, the hardware is not even at Area 51. And he's always had these hints that that he knows. And I would say Eric Davis is probably other than maybe put off is the top guy in terms of knowing the inside. He's relentless. He Because uh, I, I dealt with him, he gave me some materials back then, and I knew he was on the leading edge of, of what was going on. And what you hear him saying in that interview is they shut the program down in 1989. Now, that could, that um, sh- that goes along with the idea that was put together. And I, asked, I had an interview with Jacques Vallée a couple of months back. And I asked Jacques Vallée about this because I wanted to clarify this because I quote it all the time and I want to make sure I got it right. And that was the idea of the core story. So Jacques Vallée and Jacques agreed that this had happened. So Jacques Vallée, Kit Green... And Hel Putoff, who were the top three guys. Like Hel, uh, Hel Putoff was the the uh, ran the remote viewing program. Kit Green was the control officer. Was around the weird desk at the CIA. And Jack Vallee knew everybody. Jack Vallee was talking to everybody, trying to figure it out with you know uh, high level contacts. The same sort of approach I was using. And they met at the Denny's restaurant. If you've heard this story, and and Jack confirmed, yes, this this is true. And they came up with what was called the core story. So you'll hear a lot of stories about today. People always ask me, oh, they've got your our technology and we were flying around triangles. And I go, no, we ain't flying nothing around. As far as I'm concerned, we we have got nothing. Uh, And the prime example of that is, have you ever seen the material from... Uh, Joe Firmich, who I was following, and he was friends with uh, Hal Puthoff was in there, Kit Green was in there, the guy, uh, Brandon uh, Fugel, was in there with his research, and he was trying to, he had these gyros, he had these gyro thing that he had gotten at being up here in his room in the 1990s, and then he left this US West uh, billion dollar uh, company, computer company he had, uh, was CEO, and he started this UFO technology and stuff, and uh, Brandon Fugel actually sort of contradicts me. Uh, I say, you know, they're running this test and, and Brandon Fugle said, this is garbage. Nothing happened. It was just total waste of time. And that was the whole thing. He was trying to levitate. It was called the bouncing box and he was trying to levitate this thing. And you, you got to remember, he was in contact with help put off Kit Green, uh, Ron Pandolfi, everybody. He could have bought the technology. It's, one of the rumors was he spent $90 million on this technology and he couldn't levitate this thing off the table, one inch. And so the whole question is, I mean, if 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 he couldn't do that, what do we really got? And Eric Davis says, we ain't got nothing. And that's the core story. The core story in the 1980s was the, the three guys put off Kit Green and, and and Valet, sat down and said, there's a lot of garbage going around. There's a lot of stories going around. N- nothing compared to the internet today. But there's all this stuff going around because Bill Moore was putting out stuff and there was underground bases and alien shootouts and all this stuff. They said, all this garbage is going around. What do we know for sure? And they came up with what's called the core story. The core story is... There is something interacting with us and we have hardware. We have recovered hardware and we really can't back engineer the hardware that's the core story I think the core story is still there that's why if you see this latest UAP task force thing what you're seeing them do is to re- to get everybody on the same page so you don't have these things what they call the stove piping problem that they Putoff talked about where everybody's got a piece of the UFO and nobody's talking to each other and they're all in different con- one contractor can't talk to the other contractor and stuff so they're putting it all together so you have this flow of information almost like the same thing with 9-11 where nobody was talking and then they got caught off guard by 9-11 so you get it all and then you see this key thing that anybody who has hardware has to report it. Now, the problem with this whole scenario that I see is they're trying to get this technology and they're trying because they, they haven't got anything. They, they basically, they, they would understand stuff. Like, for example, the, the head scientist at Lockheed Skunk Works says to Tom DeLong, now you're talking with consciousness. And I've got the 50 witnesses who have flown the flying saucer will say, you're in the flying saucer, and I say, how do you fly the craft? And they say, you put your hand on this panel. You put your hand on a ball. You put your hand on a, on a flat surface, and you become one with the craft. The craft is alive, and whatever you think is what the craft does. Uh, anybody who says we got the technology i 'll say no we ain 't got that technology there 's no way it 's it 's a thousand million years ahead of us it 's way ahead and that 's what eric davis says and eric davis uh, I maintain is one of the guys that that basically knows. If he, if anybody knows, Eric Davis knows, and he's basically saying this idea that you take it off the shelf every seven or eight years and you try to do it, but it's the old idea of the cell phone. You're 200 years behind and you have the cell phone because if you look at the Wilson League document, you'll see at the end of the document it says, we have a craft, we think we can fly it, an intact craft. And that indicates the whole consciousness thing. You've got a craft, but it's like putting your finger, your fingerprint on your cell phone. You need a consciousness interface to turn the thing on. So I don't think they really have. And they're, what they're trying to do now is they're trying to uh, get all the material together, everybody reporting to the same thing so they can get all this material together. And they figure that's the way they're going to solve the problem. My 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 analysis of this is they have again missed the boat. We're going to spend 75 years doing the same thing we did before because all you have is metals. You can have a piece of metal. That doesn't tell you how the craft lies. In fact, I would say they're dropping the metals. And, help, and when I asked Valet about it, he agreed. Yeah, they're dropping this stuff on purpose. This, this is uh, gifting stuff. They're just dropping this stuff to make us curious, to help us along a little bit. And, and so we have this situation where um, they're, 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 they're going to get all the metal they're, and they're going to get sightings. So people say, well, they got better sightings. I mean, they get better than the Nimitz. They've got uh, UFOs from 10 feet away looking out the cockpit of a, of a jet fighter. That's still a light in the sky, almost like Jacques Vallée said, and I've been saying for decades, Jacques Vallée said about Nimitz, it's a UFO sighting. It's a time to get over it. We got to get past the UFO sightings. Even if you've got a a UFO from 10 feet away, that's absolutely for sure a a, a craft that's sitting outside the the cockpit of a, a fighter jet. The question is, where are they from and why are they here? That doesn't answer the question. You have to talk to the experiencers. You have to talk to the people who are interacting with the intelligence behind the phenomena. And the UAP task force is going to come short on that because they cannot interact with civilians. If you know the story of Jim Semivan, Jim Semivan said, that he knew Chris Bledsoe existed before he, because he was experience. You had the beings in his room with his wife, and he knew that Chris Bledsoe existed, but he's told Chris, I couldn't talk to you till I retired. The same as Lou Elizondo talks about the fact that the ATIP thing, they didn't talk to civilians. They were not allowed to talk to civilians. They go to jail and you've got, you got lawyers following you around. They're not allowed to interact because of this, whatever it's called, US 18 or the Title 10 or whatever they call it. You're not allowed to interact. So. They have to talk to the experiencers, but they're not going to talk to the experiencers legally. They're going to go to jail if they do that. So unless there's a bunch of uh, people in the military who are experiencers, they can, in, they can use those people. But they're going to miss all the people who are interacting with the intelligence, and you're going to be stuck with UFO sightings as good as they are, as good as the photographs are, as close as they are with metal, with crafts that are intact that you just can't figure it out. Doty, if you heard the interview I had with Doty, Doty claimed, but you never know what Dodie's telling the truth, he claimed that they were bringing pieces of the craft to hell put off. To to try to get him to identify how this thing worked, and Hell couldn't do it. But you also hear the story that Melinda Leslie will tell is that they'll take a piece of the craft and they'll put it into the hands of an experiencer, and the thing will do exactly what it's supposed to do. And they'll say, "Oh, we got another one." It's it's this consciousness interface thing that you need the, the experiencer, and that's the mistake I think that we've made, not intentionally. They're they're in the in the in the game of of technology, so they're going to try to figure this thing out. I just don't think you're going to get it without without the experience because according to this interview i've got from davis and i recommend people listen to it eric davis basically says we are totally it's way beyond us we have no idea how this thing works and um you're going to need the consciousness interface and you need an experiencer to do that uh, a ufo sighting and a piece of metal are not going to tell you how, how where they're from what they're doing here or how the craft flies
0: awesome you know grant thank you that there's a couple of things that you said that really struck me um and i'll make this quick Brian, before you go um the one thing where you say about the consciousness interface with these craft it's kind of how i always pictured it happening um there's not a lot of equipment on there everything's kind of smooth from what i understand there's not a lot of bu- buttons knobs and stuff to turn yeah um and and We're so far behind, but from what I understand, the military has tried to uh, simulate or mimic this human machine consciousness by wearing some kind of helmet that is supposed to help. So we're like 80, 100 steps behind where they are, where it comes where you're just touching something and telling it where to go we have to attach wires and make it clunky because we just don't have the expertise
3: to get it. Yeah. There but. there will be high level people like, like the rumor was at the beginning that they had headbands in the forties, the crafts and the headband, they had headbands that they had. So they, I mean, they, cause that was the thing, the, the Canadian government UFO document, uh, the top secret document said the americans told us co- mental phenomena was involved so how did the americans know to tell the canadians that mental phenomena was involved because there was nobody interacting with with aliens telepathically until adamski a couple of days after the detonation of the hydrogen bomb in 1952 so they did have that thing and there may be people like you hear darpa working on this uh this uh whole uh using you know uh, stuff inside uh, military brains and stuff, so they know where to go, but the problem with it is is that unless there 's some money to it, unless you you have some sort of uh, end like a, a a product for for that somebody 's going to pay for or you can use it for weapons um, you 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 're going to miss it now there may be an interlink where they go and find these people in DARPA who are doing this consciousness because I remember Bob Mminiger telling me the story that when he did UFO uh, past, present, and future in 1975, that he was taken to DARPA in 75 and that um, the guy, there was a computer and in the room and that he was in there and the guy said, I can't, I can't tell him what I'm doing. And he said, no, no, you got authorized you can tell me what you're doing. Just tell him. No, I can't. He said, no, you got authorized and just tell me what you're doing. He said, I'm talking to this computer and he was using his mind. And he would, he would, he would uh, think a word and the computer would go, uh, chalkboard or whatever it was. And it, they had 10 words. They had, they had this, this interface. With with the computer. So they have this uh, sort of stuff, and it may be really, really dark. That's what the Canadian said. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States because there's so much technology involved. And that's where I say uh, one of the things we've sort of missed in this whole UAP task force story is the fact that when the the New York Times brought out the article, they talked about this 490 page report that was missing. And everybody said, and then everybody forgot about it. Nobody brings it up anymore. And what you're missing is that the whole program is run by Bob Bigelow. The, the USAP program, which was and the ATIP program was only part of the USAP program. The USAP program was the important program. That was the consciousness program. That's where the defense intelligence agency guy wants to go to Skinwalker Ranch. He gets in cor- in contact with with Reed, and Reed gets him in contact with Bigelow, and they say okay, and they go on the ranch. And this DIA guy has this metal thing float right in front of him, where only he can see it. And that's when they put the money in, and they go to Skinwalker Ranch. And if you look at the the whole thing, what they're selling, the way they're selling it to Congress, is through this fear thing. And that's that's the way you sell it. You scared to live in daylight, so they have this famous slide nine, and. If you take a look at slide nine, this leak slide, which probably was purposely leaked, uh, you see this what they used to brief the Congress people you see this whole thing about putting stuff through metal uh, uh, in, interacting in people's minds and and putting stuff through metals was Skinwalker Ranch that was the bulls the guy goes out and his four bulls are missing and he's going where are my bulls I mean this is my whole career here and then he sees the, the locked trailer and he went I wonder if they put them in the locked trailer and he unlocks the trailer and these bulls are like sardines squished into this locked trailer and then they have the thing of disassembling communications that's the cameras where the two cameras looking at each other and and they the one is photographing and the other one the, the the wires get ripped down and the other camera doesn't pick it up and is facing it and then you have this thing where the, the the message is in people's heads that's part of the slide nine that's the the armed forces guys the black ops guys that are armed and they're on there and they're they're as george knapp said those are the most aggressive to the phenomena had the worst experiences and these guys have this experience and they're still so scared they will not go into the ranch these special forces guys where they get this message in their head and says leave you are not welcome and they go back to their to where they live and these wine bottles are flying around smashing against the walls and all the roommates move out and they're just absolutely terrified so that's what the the key is is they know this thing uh, the A tip thing is working on the the technology but the the OSAP uh, thing was the main program. That was the one in terms of how does this paranormal stuff work at Skinwalker Ranch? How do you have portals opening up? How do you have stuff disappearing and reappearing? And that was the whole thing. And that's what I'm talking about when I talked about the beginning. The anomalies are the important thing. When you If you take somebody's word for it and said a portal opened at, at Skinwalker Ranch, bulls were inside the trailer and somehow they got in the trailer. These are anomalies that if you can figure this out, This is worth a lot of technology. This is saying you don't understand how reality works. And if you follow the anomalies, believe that people are telling the truth and work on that instead of being the skeptic and saying, Oh, they probably made it up and finding excuses or whatever. This is telling us something very important is going on and we haven't got a clue. That's what they told me in my sort of download stuff. They said you uh, you wouldn't believe what they said to me. They basically said, you have not got a clue. You are an ignorant, arrogant little piece of, and you can fill in the blank what they told me, but it was very clear to me. They said you have no clue. You're, you're not even close. And I, you know, I, I was on the consciousness thing and that's what I would maintain at the end, that this is going to be a thousand times more complex. It's going to be a lot more spiritual than people think, and uh, it's it's going to be uh, you know nothing very very little material involved in this. We have to understand that that if if uh, like guys like Schrödinger and and Bohr and um, all these guys or John John Wheeler, these famous physicists said, if consciousness is primary, you have to change. That's what I was told in 2017. If the world is made out of little nuts and bolts, that's one world. But if the world is made out of consciousness, everything changes. All the rules change. And that's the thing that we have yet to admit, that if consciousness is primary, you have to reevaluate everything you know. Everything is going to end up being based upon something that is not really true. Almost like 1492, where we believe the world was flat and the sun run around the earth. The wider your perspective, the more you know, the wider your perspective, the more you realize that you've got it wrong.
4: Woo! <laughs> Thanks, Grant. Brian?
6: Yeah, hi, Grant. So it's, a pre- it's, it's interesting because what you're talking about in terms of consciousness and potential intelligence around gathering intelligence around consciousness tech, this dovetails perfectly into the MyLab scenario where there's US citizens like Melinda Leslie taken against their will who've had experiences with aliens and they're being grilled at force about you know uh relaying what happened in their abduction scenario when it comes to flying craft psychic abilities psychokinetic abilities so but not just with melinda but even um the late bill hamilton's wife pamela who i have an audio interview of her from 1993 she knows this all was happening to her. She claimed it was at China Lake for her the facility she was taken to, but that she said she was aware. And I know there's a lot of my abductees that would say this. She was aware that there was going to be a future event where she was going to be told to fly a craft and she would know exactly how to do it. She goes, I don't know how I know that, but I know it's, if it happens, yeah. I know exactly how to do it. How do you feel about yeah. that?
3: Yeah, well that's that's the 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 mylab thing. I remember Lin- Melinda talking about uh, um Jim Semivan having very grave doubts about the the mylab thing. And he said, "Well, how would you keep it?" And she said, "Compartmentalize, You should know that." And and this whole idea and that makes sense because I, I there was um I went Ron Pendolfi. I've always watched him for probably 25 years now. And I put a message up through his spokesman thing and I said, "Is it true that Ron said um that You've got to watch the experiencers, and he basically came back with this thing um this idea that because we cannot control the phenomena or something to this effect i mean, I'm just paraphrasing because we cannot control the phenomena, we watch those to the phenomena effects. that's all they can do they but they have this problem of this illegality. And that's what Jim Semivan brought up. This is this is like totally illegal. I mean, this kind of operation, that you, it's a very high-risk operation. But what you're trying to do is you realize that at least they realize that the, the experiencers have the knowledge. So what you're doing is you're grabbing them and you're saying, what did the aliens tell you? How does this work? And you're picking up on the people who have these uh, abilities. I remember Melinda telling the one funny story where um, – Uh, And actually it was um, Jocelyn Leslie told the story. They both got taken at the same time with Jocelyn's daughter. And they were taken, they were on this sort of a bus type thing. And um, Jocelyn Leslie went in first and they wanted her to levitate this sort of, um, if you've ever seen the egg that Yuri Geller uh, claimed to have got from John Lennon, it looked like that. And they wanted her to levitate this this egg through this hoop. And so she does this. And then she says she went back out in the hallway and then they took in Melinda Leslie, <laughs> Melinda Leslie. She could hear Melinda Leslie. She's going, are you kidding? Are you crazy? I haven't slept for two days. You think I'm going to le- levitate that thing? You got another thing coming. <laughs> she's yelling at them. And it was this idea that they want to, to see. And, and Melinda tells the story that, they, that suddenly these controls started to move and they said, oh, we got another one. And that's the whole thing—is they're watching the experiencers, but it's a very high-risk operation because this is illegal. This is the the Church Commission in 1976, where you know we were uh, you know giving people LSD and we were putting in radioactive food uh, stuff into uh, little kids who were uh, you know mentally uh, problems and stuff like that, handicapped and stuff like that, and that that's the kind of stuff that's really held in in government where you're not allowed to do this kind of interaction, but they realize this, that these are the people who have the answers, people like Melinda Leslie and, and they, Chris Bletzel will talk about that, that he has all sorts of high level people. They, I mean, Tyler D comes to him and this other guy from NASA came to him and he, the general, he even told me the story about the general. He, 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 he told me that a general, a U.S. air force general wanted him to describe how to fly a craft. So they are going to these people, Uh, but it's it's a it's this illegality thing but the 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 milab thing indicates that some people are working on this and at least they've got it right to go to the right people the people who are interacting with the intelligence what's going on inside the craft it doesn't help to have a a good photograph of the craft on the outside once you get inside then you start seeing these patterns very or i'll give you another pattern that 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 just gives you the indication that this is really really complex and that is uh G- Terry Lovelace talks about this, and so does Chris Bletso. So Chris I said to Chris, I said, Is this true that you went inside the craft? And it was like ten times the size inside as it was outside. And he said, Yes, sir, that's true. And he described to me how they flew the craft and how it was bigger and whatever. Terry Lovelace said it was like, you know, looked like a you know uh building size when when it came down, but he went inside, it was the size of a football stadium inside. And then I have an experience of a name of Ron Johnson. Uh, in uh, Utah, who tells me the story that Elby, who's the being that he was dealing with, took him into the spirit world, and he was with his m- three different times. The, the last, the second time he was with his mother, he couldn't see her. The third time he was with his mother, and his mother's leading him around the spirit world. And then he says oh she took me to this thing it looked like a temple he's a mormon guy it looked like a temple in nephi utah and she took me to this t- this uh building and she said ron when you die you're going to get a room in this building and we went in the building And he said the weirdest thing was it was like 10 times the size inside as it was outside and i said hey that's exactly because let's that's what terry love that's what lots of experiencers say and so the question is is this in the spirit world Or is this a UFO abduction? And that's where you start to see these crossovers. When you start looking at the experiencers, you start to realize there are these very direct patterns, like 14% have flown the craft. And I even said to Ray Hernandez, I said, Ray, we should talk to these people who have flown the craft. This is because when I first heard it in 2013, I thought the woman's crazy. I was going to throw her out of the house. I said, They let you fly the craft. She was like 75 years old. Like, come on. Like, you know, I couldn't believe it. I said, You know, why would they let you fly the craft? Well, I've flown three different models. Well, and then I said, out of frustration, how do you fly a craft? And then she said, Oh, you do it with your mind and then i realized why they'd put me together with this woman because i was giving these lectures on consciousness they wanted me to know there was this connection i didn't know until i talked to this woman so the experiencers yeah they do and that's where if you look at all the free survey i think a lot of people will criticize it i think that's very important material it starts to tell you um all this uh, stuff about uh you know the time and space changes once you move out of the physical thing uh time and space became uh non-existent when you come back in the physical world even this thing that came up the the other night, someone was bringing up this thing about, uh, asked me about uh, the people being frozen. And I said, well, that's very common. Yeah, I guess I'd never heard this before. I said, yeah, like uh, John Lennon talked about his, his experience where he was trying to wake up Yoko when, when these beings came to the door. And uh, Joe Wood from the Rolling Stones told this story where uh, her husband, Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones, was out on the beach and he saw this thing and called her out. And then as soon as he, he she came out there, he had to go and get his glasses. He forgot his glasses. And of course, when he went in, that's when the thing happened. And you hear this all the time. They need people, like Ray Hernandez, when, when his wife, the healing of the dog, where he goes down and this bar of light is there and he goes, ah, BS, I'm going back to bed. And he goes back to bed for 45 minutes, wakes up. And he said quite clearly, it was clear that the, the intelligence basically said, no, no, this isn't important. Go back to bed. We're working with your wife here. And you see these patterns that I think you start to learn stuff from. Whereas the, the UFO sightings, I think the the deficiency in this is all it basically tells you is, yeah, we're dealing with something and it probably ain't ours. And and I guess I have the advantage. I'm, you know, I can sometimes be very critical about it. But I have the advantage in that in 1975, the thing flew right in front of the car. There was no doubt about what I was looking at. There was there was no, I wonder if this is UFOs. I wonder if it's a star or whatever. There was no doubt what I was looking at. And the second day it came right at me, I had five close encounters. I was, One time I was so close, I was going to jump on it. So I knew, and I, so I always skipped the whole thing and trying to get past, yeah, UFOs are real. I never went down that road and I wanted to know Well, okay, so where are they from and what's going on? Whereas. A lot of people, it's almost like the Rodney Dangerfield thing. We don't get any respect. And everybody's trying to prove UFOs exist so that we can tell everybody, look, look, we were right all along. And as Jacques Vallée said about the Nimitz thing, it's a UFO sighting 15 years ago. It's time to get over it and move on to uh, get out of grade one. And that's what I said in my, my lecture about 46 years is, is I? A lot of times I think that we're I, it's grade one. It's grade one for the 46th year, for the 47th years. Like people just can't get past UFOs are real and move on to what's really going on. Cause that's when you get the really, really interesting stuff and the understanding that the world is at least a thousand times more complex than people think it is.
4: Awesome. Thanks. Grant. Back to you, Don.
0: Thanks. Hi, Grant. Um, you kind of Hi, segued Don. into uh, my uh, question here. Like I, I respect the uh, pedigree and longevity you have with the phenomenon and the research and how you've acknowledged how the phenomenon has morphed and evolved over the years. Um, And what are your thoughts on why this is happening? Is it to fit our current paradigm and our state of consciousness or where's it headed? And what's the message?
3: Well, um, I, Streisand's stepson is an, is an experiencer. The way he described it to me um, is they told him when we come into your world, we come into your head and we find out what's in your head and whatever's in your head is what we Used to teach you a lesson. And so they're coming in and they're trying to move us to the next stage. So if you're in fear, uh, you're going to have uh, experiences based upon that. In fact, I was just trying to find it. It's in John Mack's book, um, Passport to the Cosmos, where he gets into this idea that whatever being you see is determined upon your personality. So if you see, if you see grays, it's got to do with fear. If you see reptilians, it's got to do with unresolved uh, stuff. And he makes this famous uh, statement that I've quoted numerous times where he's in this debate with, with Bud Hopkins in Boston. And he says, "Bud, it's just really strange here. You know, he says, uh, I'm not a psychiatrist here. And, uh, you know, you think I'd be getting all the real ba- real bad ones. He said, and it, it's not the way it's working, bud. He said, I'm getting all the spiritual seeking ones and you're getting all the bad ones. And maybe that has more to do with you and I than it does with the aliens. And it's this idea of we project that we are, we are, it's the, uh, Seth said, the, the Chandler and I was, I read Seth years ago, I really didn't get it. And then I read it again about six months ago and it just blew me away. Seth says, you manifest what's around you. There is no other rule. And that's the John Wheeler thing. It's a participatory universe. You are you are creating what's around you. The particle does not appear in time and space until there's an observer. It's this whole idea. And we can't, we, it, we're we far away from that. It'll eventually come to that where we understand this. But so you see, and people will say, oh no, it's ET. Come on, Grant, it's ET. And I say, okay, it's ET, you really believe that? 1895, 1896, 1897, there was thousands of airships flying around the United States. They were wooden ships with propellers and sails and and uh, balloons on them and stuff like this. And there was these guys that were dressed really weird, almost like men in black things. They had the weird dress on, and they, they would ask him, where are you from? And they said, we're from Mars. Jacques Vallée re- refers to one from the Middle Ages, where they said, we come from above the clouds. So the question I would say to people, if you really think it's E.T., is in 1895, were there wooden ships that came flying across time through the vacuum of space from Mars, in, into the world no they they will, will deal with you at whatever level you're at so in 1895 they said they're from mars then in in the in um adamski's time they said we're from the moon uh, we're from uh mars we're from venus and uh at that time people still really didn't know in fact in 1895 when they said they're from mars that's when they discovered the canals on mars and everybody was looking at mars where these canals that have been discovered with telescopes and everybody's looking at this idea so, you get the, in in the, the, the Canadians were dealing with um, an alien who was actually channeled at the National Photographic Interpretation Center, where they analyzed all the U-2 sr 71 the most highly classified CIA building in Washington. And uh, AFA said he was from Uranus, which is like 378 degrees below Fahrenheit. And uh, AFA said there were 750 million people on Uranus. Now, in the 1950s, people might have believed that, but people don't believe it anymore. So, then they move it to Zeta Reticuli and to Pleiades, and, and it's so you start finding problems in that. For example, they say, we're from the Pleiades. Well, Pleiades, we say it's like seven stars or whatever. It's actually 400 stars. So why would you not be more specific about where in the Pleiades star system you're from? And then you take the story where uh um, uh um Sherry Wilde has her experience. If you ever uh, talked to her, she... um talked about the fact that she, they wanted to do this book. They sort of forced her to do this book. She got the book finished. She gave it to the publisher and she was dealing with a being by the name of Da, who was a Zeta. And so um, the p- publisher looked at it and said, hey, Sherry, you say he's from Andromeda. Yeah, he is. He's from Andromeda. Well, he can't be from Andromeda, the publisher said. He's got to be from Zeta Reticuli. He's a he's a Zeta. He's a he's from Zeta Reticuli. And she said, really? She didn't know. She said, really? And he said, well, you go back and ask Da. I ask him what's going on here. So she goes back to him and says, are, are you actually an alien? And he goes, no, that would not best describe who I am. I am an etheric being on a journey, uh, on a, on a mission through the galaxy for the creator. And it's just, well, why do you come as this, uh, this scary looking gray thing? And he said, scary looking, great thing. Have you ever looked in the mirror when you, when you smile, you got those big teeth. We think you're going to eat us. And this is the whole idea where you, you, I know I've asked lots of people, Nancy Tremaine, I've asked, people always ask all these questions about when they see the, the, on the, on the ship, I always ask the, my questions. I say, Hey, do you have any clothes on? And then they say, no, I do not have any clothes on. And do you have any sex organs? No. Do you ever get any older? no and it's don't you ever think that was weird that you know these 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 kind of things and then and then i would ask people did you ask me if was an alien i had i probably three or four or five nobody nobody ever got the answer yes Uh, uh, yossi ronan from israel his story was they said when we come into your world we can become whatever we want to become and we take on uh because we have to take on a physical body we can it's almost like i pointed out on jimmy church and one of the most important stories in the modern world is nan is Leslie Kane telling the story of the hand in the physical seance because that basically shows you what's happening so she's in this physical seance with with um, uh, Alexander Stuart Alexander I interview her and I said Leslie tell me the story about the hand did it happen more than one time and she said yes it happened more than one time and what happens in this physical seance is this hand she's sitting at this table and this sort of watery stuff is, sort of comes up uh, off the table and then this hand starts to appear and it's right in front of her and she touches it and she said it's a hand a real hand it's warm she can feel the bones in there she said she checked it and it happened a number of times and then the hand bangs on the table and disappears back into this watery thing and that's what's going on they can come into the physical world they can take on a physical being and they can go back into wherever they're coming from almost like Bashar says we come to you in your dreams because now you're in our world they're just in a different vibration and they can come in and they have to take on a physical thing almost like there's a a group of of things called the beings and I'm, I'm going to be doing a book they wanted me to do a book on them what they told me was um because we, we had the question about aliens said well if, if you want us to be aliens we can, we can be aliens for you if you want we can we can take you to our planet we can show you our planet but no we're actually from we're we're from here we've always been from here you are the visitor and and it was this idea that that, that it's all here now it's like this quantum physics thing is there really time and space or is it all here and now and it's almost like um Politico, uh, Brian Bender, and this again is something people have missed. Brian Bender talks about a study that was done by the Pentagon that looked at the interdimensionality of the UFO thing rather than the ET thing, and that they had come up with this idea that maybe it's actually from here, just a different here. And that's this whole idea. It's all vibration. It's all here. It's all now. There is no time and space. It's all stacked on top of each other. All the lives are together. All these really woo-woo uh, sort of ideas that have come up in mystical literature and religious literature. It's a Maya. It's, it's an illusion. That's what the aliens told me. These beings, they said, it's an illusion. And this comes into the, the, the whole idea about the, the simulated universe. We're starting to get to this point where we're starting to realize it may not be the physical world we think it is and that's i think the message that these beings are trying to get across to us and then the message has changed so it was mars then it was venus and that and then it was uh, and then when we got into you know it was the pleiades and then when when that's sort of faded away then people got into uh multi-dimensional stuff then they said oh we're from the fifth dimension we're from the 11th dimension and i think they're just talking at whatever level you're at because if they were to come in 1890 and start talking to people about uh everything's time there's no time there's no space it's all here it's now it's a simulated universe to people in 1895 are going what are you talking about they they have to talk at your level they 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 have to use as uh, barbara streisand stepson said they have to use what's in your head so they're talking to you at your level and as it that's why the thing is progressing and you see more now like ufos don't land anymore in the the 50s 60s 70s they don't land anymore that was the big thing that i heard about the triangles the triangles don't land and i said well the ufos don't land either they're flying around but they don't land and you don't have that kind of stuff and now you start to see the orbs which came after digital photograph you start seeing people with light language you start seeing a lot of people getting these experiences in their bedroom where it's it's they'll say 80 75 say it was an out-of-body experience that's how it started and i don't really believe it was I, w- I was abducted it was a it was a mental experience and as we go along we the the thing keeps moving and it's the idea is to keep your mind open to all these new possibilities that we probably got it wrong and listen to the experiencers to tell us what the reality is because they are describing it not saying what they're doing that's what the beings are doing is they're giving this material but they're giving it indirectly don't give you they don't land on the white house lawn and give you a lecture they do it through symbols that's what jim semivan said this has got to do with consciousness has got to do with multidimensionality, and they talk to us through symbols that is clearly important the triangle is a big one uh, and uh, various symbols. They're they're talking because that's right brain. Right brain is sigmas is it's not a, a left brain give you a lecture through your left brain language center. It's through symbols that they're they're talking to us. And when I hear Jim Semivan say that, I realize that Jim Semivan probably knows more than I do about what's going on here. And I think we should listen to these people very carefully without criticizing them and listen to what they're saying. And they are indirectly saying. Even Lou Alzando was asked the one question at one time. They said. He they, they asked him, is this on world or off world? And Yossi Ronin uh or or um picked up on this and he said, Did you hear what Alessandro said? I said, Yeah, I heard exactly. We both picked up on the same thing because he said, Was this on world or off world? And he said, Well, oh. hang on. There's also all other possibilities, uh, you know. Uh, this uh, quantum physics, and he started. And I go. I know where he's going. He's basically saying it may not be off-world, and and that's the thing is when you hear him, and he didn't say it directly, but if you're an experiencer, if you if you've studied this, you pick up. You go. I know what he's talking about. He's indirectly telling you this may not be ET the way we think it is.
0: Wow. Well, yeah. Thank you for uh, taking us down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly uh, where I was hoping you would take us.
4: Appreciate that, John.
7: Hey, Grant. Um, I'm here in Thunder Bay. Hey, I'm a couple saucers. Oh, it's Thunder Bay. Good. Yeah, yeah, a couple saucer skips away. Um, I'm an experiencer, lifetime experiencer. Um, I did a call response challenge about 2014, and I ended up with a triangle, a very prominent triangle um, on my arm and uh, of course <laughs> your most recent book was uh, very interesting i just finished it um yeah. it it seems to me that possibly in terms of the ships and some of the markings and when we get into um you know esoteric geometry and the lucian yeah. mysteries all this kind of stuff that the classic trickster phenomenon may be slightly disappearing and we may be getting closer to those fundamentals so i'm just wondering if you can speak to us a bit about how your theory of wow would relate in particular to the triangle aspect of this oh and also oh, oh sorry one more thing Probably you probably already know this, but there was an apparition there's a picture from the Seth material i 'm very happy to hear you reference that um, that looks exactly like a gray i don't know if you've come across that or not, but
3: no, no. Uh, one thing I did with the grays, which I sort of um I, I should actually do it because it was it was very revealing is what I do is I take the grays, so people say oh, that 's gray I mean, and everybody assumes okay, the guy' was looking at a gray, and you get this idea in your head. I took Betty and Barney Hills gray then I took Whitley Streiber's gray and I was doing a, I was doing a PowerPoint thing where am I are you still am I still on Yep yeah Oh good. Okay, because uh, my screen just let up here. Um yeah, so I and then I took Whitley Strieber's gray and then I took Betty Andreason's gray, and then I took um all these different grays and went one on top of another, bang, bang, bang. Not two not no two even look even close. We just assume, and that's this that's this idea that we may be partly projecting. As to the triangle, I don't know if we had it in the book, but um one of the key things I think that you should look at when it comes to the triangle, we mentioned in the book that um this uh savant. And his name always escapes me. This is a guy who got beat up and is able to draw um, pi and all any mathematical equation. He can see it ge- geometrically and he draws. He's the one that told us the triangle is the basis of the universe, that there are no circles. And that's why pi can never uh, be rounded off to a, to a, a final number. It's because you you're you putting triangles inside a circle. And, there, and you can put as many small little triangles as you want. There's always going to be a space at the edge where it doesn't fill in the circle. And, um, so he was talking about this, uh, uh, triangle thing, which I think the more I look at it, the more important it, it appears because you had Chris Bledsoe had it on his chest. Uh, the the being that Chris Blesso saw, and I didn't pick up that. Until we, I mean, I saw it, but it didn't it was ring until, and then, um, um, the one that's at Shasta, uh, uh, Terelle, the one that gave me the message, uh, through somebody else, uh, had the triangle on his chest. And, uh, it, the one that we may not have had in the book was, um, um uh, um jim peniston and jim peniston saw the triangle on the on the on the craft and if you look at the they 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 do the first book and the second book was this mathematical guy that that they they ran this um sort of um all this material on the this uh, binary code message that he got and what you see it has to do with it has to do with the uh, the world on the triangles, on the pyramids, and it all is based on the triangle. And they're going to write a second book just on the mathematics that was involved in this code thing. And it was way beyond me, so it's probably we may not have put it in the book. I just it just floored me. But I know it all had to do with with the the pyramids and stuff like that. And that all this stuff from the ancients is all linked in, which you which you hear Tom DeLong and some of the guys like Semivan talking about. To look at the ancients, that a lot of this stuff was written in there. The triangle, I think, is is extremely important, especially like what you pointed out. I didn't know that you had the triangle, but that's why I say to people that when you look at that, what's that about? Like, why would, I mean, if you're, why would you put a triangle on somebody's body? I mean, what, what is that, a propulsion, you know, like a an abduction symbol or like it just doesn't make any sense, especially if you saw the one I had from the girl in Winnipeg here. It was as clear as day. It was the most clear triangle I've ever seen on somebody's on somebody's on somebody's wrist. And that's the whole thing. And that's the, the whole thing by, behind putting marks on people's body is people think, oh, it's you know, they're taking scoop marks to take, uh, um, uh, you know, skin samples. And I think that the beings, the, the, it's the idea that when you have an experience, 40% of all experiencers say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. The same as near-death experience people, at one point, 31% say they knew the answer to everything in the universe. I don't think the aliens really need any answers. I think they've got all the answers. And so the idea of scoop marks and triangles is the theory of wow, is to get you to go, wow, I thought that was a dream. No, it's not a dream. In fact, I I, I point out in the book, the the one with – um. Uh, Coronado with, um, Yvonne Smith, where the two guys at the Coronado, where they take the 13 people on the one weekend and two of the guys have it carved into their, their private part. And they find out when they go in the shower that they've got this triangle on there. And it's like, that's the whole thing. And that's the, the whole idea is to make you, go wow, which is, the, the, the theory of wow is pretty complex to get the whole thing, but it's basically that all of what they're doing, all they're doing is making us go wow. Why do you have, to have lights on them? They have lights on them because they want you to see them. They want you to go, what? The? Like I did. What the hell is going on? What is that thing? And, and they put you down the rabbit hole. And once you get down the rabbit hole, you can't get out. Even Kevin Day talked about that the other night, how he's been divorced. He said his wife couldn't take it. <laughs> Join the crowd. I mean, it's like near-death experience people. 75% or 80% of near-death experience people get divorced because their partner cannot take them anymore they're the different people they're in this different world and the same thing happens to UFO people is you get dragged down on this thing with the theory of wow where they they've got you you can't get it out of your head you're you become obsessed with it you're trying to figure it out and that's what they're doing they're, that's the, the the whole trickster thing is they're doing it not really to throw you off it's to get you to wonder what what's this about why did they do crop circles and, and because you can't really prove whether they're made by them or they're hoaxed or whatever but everybody when they see a crop circle always go says the same thing wow i wonder how they made that whoever made it it's like wow that's something else and that's what they're what this whole thing's about and and or i would just say i would make the joke with linda how i'd say linda why did they take all the blood out of the cow like every last drop of the blood and then she (laughs) didn't say anything and i would say it on stage i'd say they took it out linda because if they didn't take all the blood out you wouldn't follow it and you may not know what the the cattle mutilation is about but i guarantee you somebody high up in the u.s government says Oh my God. Did you see what that cattle mutilation was? Because the, there's this theory that it's got to do with, with, um, a monitoring program with the, the, the atomic bomb stuff downwind and downstream from nuclear power, power activities. So it has all these hidden messages and they, they don't want you to figure it out. Because that's what the universe is all about. The universe is not about getting to the end and uh, you know, then getting to heaven and sitting on a beach and drink Mai Tais for the next six billion years. It's all about learning, it's all about that that when you finally get this thing figured out, almost like David Bohm said, when you figure out the whole quantum physics thing, there's just another level between below quantum physics. That the world keeps getting more and more complex. So it's a thing that will go on forever. We will never know the answer to everything. That it that you just get to your level You think you figured it out, and there's another level above that. And the world, and the the the, I believe that we're creating the universe. I don't believe God created the heaven and the earth. I think God created the sparks of the divine, and the sparks of the divine are creating the universe for God. So we are creating it out of out of consciousness. That's how we make it. So we can make positive, negative. We can do all this kind of stuff. We're creating the universe. And if you took a look at um, Mark Sims, if you've seen his whole thing, he talks about this being that encounters him for 14. 13 days and in there he has a chart and then the final level of the chart is exactly what michael newton said it's exactly what i thought for years is that when you get to the end these guys are creating entire galaxies that you sort of evolve and you create bigger and bigger and more elaborate things and uh we're creating it and then when it comes to mark sims he always talks about ETs. I like, mark yours was not an ET. What did he say he was? And it, it was he said he was a being from 4,000 years ago in South America. And he doesn't look like a being, he has no eyes, no ears, no uh, mouth. He's translucent or whatever. So they will appear as whatever they want to. But uh, a, most of it is just to get you to think and to get us to put it together. It's almost like we have the idea that we go into another country. We, and I always make the joke we go into another country, we say, We're here to bring you freedom, democracy, Jesus and McDonald's. And then next thing people are pointing guns at us and saying, get the hell out of here. You know, and, and we end up having to leave. And so what they're doing is not that they're not here to come in to save us, to give us the answer. They're, they're here to put in these little clues and little puzzles and stuff and interact with people so that we figure it out. Because when we figure it out, then we're not going to change our minds. It's not like somebody came in and told us. And and that comes to this this whole idea that that we may have had these agreements. I believe there's this idea that a lot of experiencers will tell you, I can't remember the percentage, it's pretty high, that will say they're on an agreement, they're on a soul contract. I remember uh, I asked Kathy Martin about this. I said, what do you think about the soul contract, Kathy? She said, I always wondered about that. She said, so I actually had myself regressed and I actually heard the words come out of my mouth. I agreed to this. And this is the whole idea that we come in and the whole idea that we are creating the, the, the universe, that we made an agreement to come into the world at this time, in this place, in the middle of this mess, whatever mess we think we're in, and we came in, the, in this time, this place, in the middle of this mess because we came here for a reason. We're on an agreement. We have individual things, if, if, and that's one thing that was given in 2017. Is the world one life? If it's one life, that's one world. But if it's multiple lives, everything changes. So if it's multiple lives. We came into the world to do something, to learn something or whatever. So we have these individual contracts to learn love or whatever we're supposed to learn or, um, you know, whatever but we also have these these joint contracts where we join with other people and so my idea right or wrong is that we're all in this deal that we all probably had a meeting beforehand and we said okay we're we've got to raise the consciousness of the world it's going to be at this very critical point and uh, you play the alien and i'm going to play the human being and that's what it comes down to is is when i get this thing of what are we really dealing with i say it's shakespeare said all and i hated shakespeare with a passion when i was in school i hate it All the world's a stage. All the men and women and aliens are but actors. They have their entrances and exits and each man plays many roles. We are not the actor on the stage. We are playing an actor on a stage. The aliens are playing their role. We're playing our role. We are not. We have to remember who we actually are. We are etheric beings playing a role when we die we suddenly realize oh my god it was it was all it was all a a play it was all that we had these agreements or whatever and then when you come back into the next life you're going to play a different role almost like whitley strever's wife Anne, came back and said whitley i am no longer Anne." But I'll always be aunt to you this idea that that we we come in, we go out, and that this is very much more complex than one life if it's multiple lives, uh you'll hear a lot of experiences and it's a high percentage I don't know what the, I can't remember what the percentage is will say that's my family. They have this very close link to whoever this abduction thing is, almost like there's agreement, and a lot of them will say they made a soul contract and i one of the questions I ask is to experiences all the time. I say, "Do you think you're on a mission, and they always go uh eh, well uh. Um, I think so, but I'm not sure what it is, or they'll say, yeah, I'm on a mission and I know exactly what it is. And, uh, so that's what I, that's where I sort of sum up the, the key thing is the idea that if it's all, if it's, we're all etheric beings, if it's all this consciousness stuff, then you have to sort of reevaluate what the world is about, how we came in or where, where my father dies two days before he comes, his father comes to him. And, uh, my father was very skeptical. He was a pilot. And, um, he, my mother said, your father was here really? What do you have to say? He said, he was just here. That's all you need to know. And he, he didn't want to get into it. But the thing was, why did my grandfather come to my father just before he died? Because as his the grandfather, because he came as one of his other thousand lives, my father wouldn't have known who he was. This is all about messaging. It's all about uh, you can take on whatever you want when you come in the physical world. And a lot of experiences will say that that they're told this that when the beings come in, they they they're not physical beings. They're they they come from some sort of place where the ghosts come from. They don't wear clothes. The ghosts wear clothes, but they they come in and uh, they are here to uh, direct. Uh, Things, the same as you and I are probably here on an agreement with them and we're here to do something and so the only thing we have to worry about is why did we come in what are we supposed to be doing and are we doing it and it doesn't it, that doesn't mean a damn thing what anybody else is doing. It is what did we come in here to do what are we supposed to do and are we doing it?
7: Thank you Grant for the answer very much uh, understand and agree with uh, with what you're saying.
2: Hey, Grant, uh, I'll just jump in. Um, You know, you did a lot of experiments with yourself. You've tried some hallucinogenics. Do you feel like any of that has gotten you closer to what this all is all about? Because it opened you up or did it not?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I did did 26 um, high-dose psilocybin sessions one after another. It was the only one I did. Um, I was just curious. I'd heard this and I already knew the idea that That the idea of vibration, that you're moving into a vibration, into a different reality. And I bring this up uh, with uh, people that I deal with, with the DMT, where I have the one guy, he's an AI expert, and I was just fascinated when he told me the story. He said, last night I had a classic abduction experience. I said, you did? And this is DMT, like 10 minutes on a couch. And he said it was classic. He said I was on a table. They were working on my head. I could see their arms. I couldn't see what the beings were. And that was the thing with the DMT thing was that Strassman, according to what I heard, he actually quit the research because he was so floored by the fact that half of the half of the people that had done this experiment in New Mexico where they were doing the DMT thing had encountered beings and that 25% or something in that range had had the abduction experience. And so I, I tried it to, to get this idea. And the things I learned were the, a couple of things. If you hear a lot of experiences, we'll talk about the fact they know when the beings are going to be there. It's like this vibration thing. It's like when you've been one with the craft, when you put your hand on the craft, you now vibrate with the, with the craft and with the being. So the people say, I know they're coming. I know they're coming tonight and I, I know they're going to be here. Even where Chris Bledsoe, when he had John Alexander there, he say he was standing there and then he said to John, they're here. They're here. And John's looking around. He says, how do you know they're here? I just know they're here. They're here. And then he said, pooh, and this thing appears above John. And John was just floored. He said it was, you know, just blew him away that this thing appeared and went flying off into the sky. And that's the thing, when you vibrate. So that was one of the things I learned in in the the psychedelic thing was this vibration. I knew exactly because you'd be going, oh, when's this going to take place? When's it going to happen? And then the vibration would start to go, here we go. We're about to go. Or the DMT people would say, it's like a rocket, you know, like a rocket on your back. And it's this whole idea that you're being changed vibration, which is what UFO experiencers will describe. Is when they when this thing is happening, they feel the vibration, and that comes to this idea. Uh, even Tesla said that. If if you want to understand the universe, think more in terms of vibration. And this is the thing where rather than going here or going there, it's vibration and this idea, this concept. You may be moving inside yourself. So I did the book on the first sixteen sessions, and then the last ten sessions were pretty 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 traumatic. Where um, I think the thing I learned there, but the big the basic message they're always giving me was ego. Was this thing about uh, what you do, and and you'll hear this, uh, and it ties into the um, what I talk about with aliens, where i I I told you this, Alan. Like, why why, why would they come to Alan Steinfeld and say? wake up, Alan, wake up, wake up, wake up. And then you open up your eyes and there's this gray alien, a bunch of gray aliens standing there looking down at you and you go, Oh my God. And you're just freaking out. And, and what they're, I believe they're doing is they're, they're forcing you to dissociate. It's a trauma thing. And that's what happens in, in psychedelics. And it also happens in your death experiences is the ego gets crushed. Your left brain, your default mode network goes offline and the ego don't want to go offline and it is absolutely traumatized. But what you got to do is kill the ego and that puts you into the field. So that's, that's what i learned and they would do this and i can tell you i had five experiences maybe more that you you could not describe hell better than that it was like unbelievable i just can't even put words to it uh what they can put you through where you realize it's going to go on forever this is absolutely the worst thing i was, why did i get into this i'm so stupid and and oh my god and then you you surrender and that's what I say. This is a key thing with the UFO thing is this idea of surrender. I'd say, okay, that's it. I took it. You know, I did. I was stupid. I took the, I took the, the psilocybin and now I'm going to be in hell for eternity. And that's the way it is. Learn to live with it. And boom, it's gone instantly. As Soon as you surrender, it's gone. And that's what I believe is the idea where the, where the being wakes you up and then says, okay, go back to sleep. And then, and then ask the people, what do you do? I pulled the covers over my head, and went back to sleep. I said, "That's the last thing someone would do is put their covers over their head and go back to sleep." And it's this trauma; they're they're forcing this dissociation. And the same thing happens with near-death experience. So you hear the people who have the bad near-death experience, and it's like the evil aliens—they gave you this bad experience. Well, is a near-death experience evil? Because I, whatever it is, twenty percent or fifteen percent have the bad near-death experience, and what they did. I started looking because I figured it was going to be, and sure enough, a lot of researchers say what it is is the person can't let go they're trying to control it and when they're controlling it they have this bad near experience and this is the so in the beginning of the psychedelic book it's a, a lesson i think that's applicable to the ufo thing i put a whole page and it says surrender is the only rule believe me from my personal experience, surrender is the only rule. And that's this key thing is this trauma that's involved. And so people say, oh, they're evil aliens. Why would they scare you? And you you look at it from this perspective and you see maybe what they're doing is they're they're trying to get you. Into a dissociative state, then you go into the out of body experience or you go into that you change your vibration changes and you 're able to go into the mystical state and that 's where all this stuff is happening and that 's what you 'll hear people say uh, in the, the free survey. they always talk about it as this uh, matrix reality. the people are talking about this matrix reality. it is not the same as the physical world but it 's more real than the real world, which is exactly what lucid dream people say i was in the lucid dream and i could change everything i could change the characters and it, it it was really weird but it was more real than the real world and that the world that you live in the physical world is the dream and psychedelic people will say the same thing it was more real than the real world you're living in the dream and that's where you start to realize that this may be true that it's all this uh, uh dream and that you're in different levels and that these other levels may be higher levels of reality
2: but there, there's more. There's a, but, but this has been going on a long time. You know, Matthew Roberts is here. He wrote the book *Initiate*. He traces this back to, you know, this kind of phenomenon back to, you know, the ancient mysteries, are, 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 and then we come back to this other reality. Are we getting closer to?
3: Anything? Oh, absolutely. We are. Okay. Ab- oh, absolutely! Yeah, like when I wrote that. the book, uh, contact modalities. I mean, it just—it almost just came together. It was like complete, uh, no sort of um, every single thing because we went through seventy different contact modalities, and every everyone fit the pattern. So when I started looking at this idea of left brain, right brain, that it's your left brain that keeps you in the physical world, and that when you force are forced to dissociate, like through near death experience, where you go through the front windshield, windshield of a car or whatever it is. Or if you do psychedelics, there's this trauma event that, that when they shut down the ego, when you flip out, or the near um, uh, all these different things, and you always find this trauma thing that there's always this like a lot of mediums have had childhood sex abuse issues or or abuse issues as children, and it forces them to dissociate, and suddenly they're talking to their their dead grandmother or whatever, and that's what I I realized that all these modalities seem to work the same thing. It's getting that the signal is there, all the all the realities are there. It's the ability to access the reality. So so, so some channelers are, are good. Some are really good. And it's the ability to shut down the left brain, which is creating the noise in the signal. You can't hear the signal because the, the, the voice, the ego is talking away in your, in your left brain. And it's saying, well, this is garbage. You're not hypnotized. It's this, this sort of thing. And so what happens in hypnosis? Hypnosis. Oh, we're gonna quiet the quiet the mind. You're not quieting the mind. You're quieting that little voice, the left brain, where instead of trauma, you're gonna quiet it down. And you say, as Desta, who does a lot of stuff, my assistant, she does a lot of, this, and she basically says, "I we're we're sending you for coffee. We, we 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 appreciate your input, but right now I'm working with whoever I'm working with, and we need you to go for coffee or the the healing thing with the Bankston thing, which was just blew me away when I when I saw the Bankston. If you know the Bankston, it's supposed to be the Cadillac of all healing methods Uh, and when i heard what they were doing they would have this method where you take 20 ego images 20 things that you want like a car and a motorhome and and go to hawaii and you you get all these images and you and you memorize them and you you get them very elaborate and all the details and then you start to flip these in your head and they teach you to go faster 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 and then they can teach you to flip these images at like a thousand or two thousand images a a second in your head and as soon as i saw that what they were doing and they said what Bankston said is you're getting the healer out of the way and I said, I know what they're doing. They're shutting the left brain down. The left brain is into, is into physical stuff. And when I took the training, Bankston said, people would have put on their list They'd say, I want to save the world. And you said, get that off your list. It has to be an ego image. You're not here to save the world. This is selfish. And it's, it's appealing to the left brain. And what it does is it flips these images and the left brain's going, Oh, this is so cool. Look at it. Oh, I love that motorhome. Oh, and, and, and it takes the healer out of the way. And then they, the the, 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 the energy flows and any, any cancer, the more, the more aggressive the cancer, the more they can, they can cure it unless the person's had radiation or chemotherapy and you hear these claims. And as soon as I looked at it, I go on exactly what they're doing. They're, they're doing the same thing. They're, they're quieting that br- the brain that keeps you in the physical world. And we all have access to all these different levels and it's a matter of learning how to do it. And when I saw contact modalities, and I see what other people are talking about, about how do you, how do you access this, uh, how, how channeling works, Everybody's talking about the same thing. It's this. It's this idea of quiet, quiet, uh, you know, breathing techniques, uh, meditation. Meditation is just the same thing. It's quieting the brain, and you get into this deeper and deeper, deeper state where it's like psychedelics. You you just move to a different vibration, and then suddenly you're having mystical experiences or whatever. Or William James who was using laughing gas. There's all these different modalities, but when you look at them, they're all the same thing. They're they're we re- we have to realize that. We have something that's keeping us in the physical world, but it's blocking us from the worlds of all the other vibrations and all these higher levels of spirituality. And when you take a look at the aliens, I, I, I point this out, that if you look at Roger Lear, who did all the alien implants and, and Mark and Sims, when it was in their book, they said they had 250 alien implants and they were all on the left side of the body well the right brain runs the left side of the body and the left brain runs the right side of the body so if they're putting alien implants into the le- to the to the left side of the body they're talking to the right brain they're not talking to your ego that they're putting them on the left side for a particular reason. And that fits right into the theory. So when I start looking at these theories, to me, it's sort of like, but again, you you get the ego going. I go, oh, I got this all figured out. I mean, this all makes sense. I, all these modalities all fit together. And then when I have my psychedelic uh, version, I don't do them anymore because they, they become so traumatic. They basically go to ego again. And they, they just like go after the ego. And they just take me to places where I really don't want to go. They, they absolutely, in my opinion, they absolutely hate the ego they they, they think i've got they called me ego boy they they use all this stuff and and it can be pretty traumatic when when they're shut, trying to shut your ego down the last thing they gave me and i actually went to people because i actually thought this was real uh that they, they they used to do this thing where they were sort of uh you, you know choking me or something like that and i go i have done this before yeah I, uh, yeah i'll surrender you know and then they did the one where i i'm on there i haven't talked about this too much but i actually went to people and i said i i need uh, a woman is doing tarot card reading. I said. I need you to do a reading for me. I, I'm not going to say anything. Just tell me what you see. And I wanted to see whether she saw what I saw. And I had this thing where I had a medical thing where um, it was a, a, a cancer biopsy, which turned out to be okay. But um, I I, I suddenly, they, they figured they were going to use this. So I got on and suddenly I'm in this experience and suddenly I'm talking to somebody on a computer. So we were talking earlier about does the government have this technology? And I'm talking to somebody and I said to the guy, did you effing crack crack reality? Because the whole idea that scares me about the military is that if you figure out the rules, then you know the rules of how the universe works, and you can actually man- manipulate the whole the whole the whole thing. And what I wanted to know was, it, uh, it, are they able to manipulate all the rules of consciousness and take control of everything? Can you get control of the game board? So this guy was. It was clear as day. The guy was on this computer, and I'm talking to. this, And I said, what? and the guy disappeared immediately. So the next one I had suddenly again these people were on computers and 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 then I they they said I remember they said they were talking and I said have you got this and it, to me it was like U.S. military that was it was on this thing and it was real as could be and the guy said uh, we've decided we're going to take you off the board to make the game more exciting and you talk about freak out man I was so freaked out and then the third time uh, then they really got it they said. This is it. We're, we're, we're going to take you out. And that's why I made these things. I said to people, has the U S got this technology? I think I'm talking to somebody on a computer that's, that's actually, because when you're in the state, you're, you're out of this, your vibration. And they're in that vibration. They're in that same world that you're in. And they, they, they're, they're tapping into my brain or into my consciousness. And they're giving me these threats. And then I realized no, it was just this ego thing they realized how to crush my ego it was like who's 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 panicking and I always ask people when they when they when they get panicked about something i say who's who's actually crying the blues here is it you or is it your ego and what it was it was my ego because I'd had this near test where it it came up uh, uh negative, but it was this this fear and they used this ego thing to say. We're we're taking you out. You're actually going to die. And it was real as real. And that's the whole thing where you, you get this ego thing, which to me was a a big lesson that I think everybody's, uh, sort of got to learn. You can say, Oh, I'm going to surrender, but they, they pull it, they pull these things. They, they, and whoever it is, whether whether it's the universe or God or whoever, uh, it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. What, 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 what they can do and, uh, teach you lessons, but uh, they're all lessons. The first 16 were pretty important lessons, but, um, you know I had wow. lessons on death and compassion and and i 've felt the samadhi experience and I've, I've felt uh, total compassion i 've had that one a number of times, which is one of the most beautiful experiences i 've ever had in my life where i 'm having all these people dying and i 'm feeling the pain of all the people and then the other next time it 's all the people around the people who are dying i'm feeling their pain and stuff like that, so you get put to do these experiences. Which I think eventually everybody's going to go through, and you you get into these meditations where people are doing compassion meditations or, or gratitude i in my psychedelic experiences, I had the gratitude thing which which blew me away because i 'm in the physical world, and this gratitude thing where it's come where I would in to be in the experience, and it was like the most amazing gratitude I was the most uh, as the luckiest person that ever lived. And it was this overwhelming gratitude that would come over me. And then I would call him the gratitude guy because it would always happen near the end. I go, Where's the gratitude guy? He hasn't arrived yet. When's the gratitude guy? And it would come and it would just, it, it's beyond words, this absolute gratitude. So these kind of things are as real as the more real in the real world, but these are the kind of things. So I think we are making a headway in terms of consciousness. You can even see in 2012, when I had the consciousness experience, Nobody was talking consciousness except for Colin Andrews. And now you have a lot of people who are talking consciousness and they're using the word because they realize you got to use the word. They haven't got a clue what they're talking about. They know this is a key buzzword now in the UFO field and, and in paranormal field and they're using it. But I've, I, it comes down to like the experiences. It ha- you have to have the experiences. It, it, this is not something you can rationally, analytically figure out. You've got to listen to the experiences who are describing the actual experience because they're they're describing being in this field and I th- I think we've made yeah Alan I think we've made great headway just in the last it's only 2012 where I woke up uh, as to what was going on before then I was nuts and bolts I was the president you know chasing the president and all this sort of stuff and I thought it was ET and technology and stuff and um, I got I got my bell rung a few times but I absolutely think it's come a long way just in since 2012
2: hey. Matthew, does any of that sound familiar to you? Do you know Matthew Roberts' story, Grant?
3: No, no, I don't.
2: Well, Matthew.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, it all sounds familiar to me. But uh, the question that I have for you, Grant, and I know you, I think you kind of touched on it in contact modalities, uh, is about uh, this new research that has come out recently with uh, Dr. Nolan and Dr. Green uh, that they've yeah. done with experiencers and that whole connection between uh, the caudate and the put them in yeah. and the brain. Uh, yeah. I wonder if you, what are your thoughts on that? If you could speak to that a little
3: Okay. Bit. I, I wrote it up in contact modalities. I have a little bit more advanced idea. We we always get it backwards. And this is this whole co- concept is the, where I was given 2017 is the world made out of nuts and bolts are made out of consciousness. So everybody, including, I think, Nolan and and Kit Green, still believe con- the the brain creates consciousness. And it is absolutely the other way around. I mean, if you take Max Planck, uh, who is the father of quantum physics, said there is no matter as such, uh, uh, or Schrodinger, con- then nothing gets behind consciousness. It's the idea that consciousness creates the brain, not the other way around. And so they've got the idea that this caudic putainment thing is is enlarged, and therefore that's where psychic stuff comes from. I say it's the other way around. And the experiment I would pr- show to you is the experiment was done by uh, Wilder Penfield, who was the top neurosurgeon in Canada. He was the guy who did these famous experiments where he would put a, a probe in the in the brain and the person would remember, uh, um, you know, uh, a memory or something like that. So he does this experiment where he opens up the, the, the person's head and then he says, uh, raise your arm. The guy raises his arm and part of the brain uh, uh, activates So then he says, put your arm down and that part of the brain deactivates. So he takes the probe and he puts it on that part of the brain and the guy's arm raises up and he said, did you raise your arm? And the guy said, no, I didn't. You raised my arm. And then he, then he, he took it off and the arm went down. He said, "Uh, did you lower your arm? He said, no, I did not lower my arm. You lowered my arm. And that's the thing. There's somebody behind. So there's somebody who's taking the, 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 um, the, the, the mind is talking to the brain. The brain is just a receiver it's the idiot in between i call it and so the, there's this the, the idea is still that there's a a, a a football game inside the tv that elvis is still alive he's in my radio no there is no football game inside the tv the football game is outside the tv the the brain is just a receiver so when you get this cardate putamen yes it is correlated it is involved but what it is is the other way around is that the brain the 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 the, the mind is using that for psychic stuff it's it's and and what happens in the brain it's like muscles it's the same thing as a muscle that when you lift muscles the muscle will get bigger so the caudate putamen gets bigger there's the other person that has the the large uh putamen or is it caudate or uh, one of the two caudate or the putamen is people who have another thing which is very bizarre is this what's called uh 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 very superior autobiographical memory. There's about a hundred of them in the world, and these are people who can remember everything that happened to them since they were 13 years old. They can tell you on Jeopardy on 1976 what his tie was, what the questions were. They can tell you what they had, what the weather was, all this kind of stuff. And their uh, is either caudate or their pertainment is seven times the size that it normally is. So it's it's related to memory. So if if the brain is if the mind is using that part of the brain over and over again, it's going to get enlarged. And and you you will see this in terms of uh, in the latest book I've I've just written the thing another book which I'll, I won't get into but I, I, I'm coming out and I've talked in a number of books about this this whole thing about things that change the brain so the idea is that the brain uh, creates the mind but very definite proof people who meditate their brain changes I can't remember which part of the brain changes uh, people who do taxicabs in London England that part is the I think it's the hippocampus. Enlarges on people who are taxi cab drivers in London because they got to learn 50,000 streets and all these, uh, things on the streets and stuff like that. And then when they retire, it goes back down again. And you, you and I hope a whole list of all these things. So when it comes to meditation, that is not a physical thing changing the brain. That is a, that is a mental thing. And that's where I say, if you, people will say, you know, the, the brain, it's lighting up and this is going here. And I go, who's lighting it up? If I tell you to meditate, you're going to do a meditation. So you may do compassion meditation, Vipassana meditation. You may do uh, awareness meditation or whatever. Well, who's telling the brain to meditate? And it's the idea that the, the, the brain is telling the, the person to meditate. But what you see is when 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 you decide I'm going to raise my arm or I'm going to meditate, or whatever it is, then the blood starts to change. And people will say, look, this is lighting up. It's not lighting up. It's the blood flow is changing. The blood is moving from one part of the brain to the other because that part of the brain is being activated and being used. And the thing is, who's turning the valves? Who's moving the blood? Who's making the blood stop here and go there? And and I think the one thing is there's 4 billion pieces of information filed by the brain every second. And um, the question is, does anybody really want to try to convince me that there are actually neurons, especially when I talk very fast, that there are neurons in the brain who are actually running around and having board meetings as to what word they're going to put in the sentence next and, and who's going to move my hand and who's going to move the lips and, and they're going to do it all in coordination. This is absolute nonsense. What's happening is the, the mind is, is using the brain as, as the receiver and all, it's all been built up and um so the the potamen thing is is important it is part of this psychic thing but one of the things that they had left out and i i can't remember who i asked but they didn't respond but if you take a look there's been a bunch of experiments done on the psychic thing there was one done at, at laurentian university uh by um now i'm gonna forget his name um persinger, uh, name,
7: but. persinger.
3: persinger. yeah so he did the one with he had um a Uri, um not your he had ingo swan and he had pat price he had a couple of the guys from the remote viewing program and what he showed was this same the same thing where you see this pattern where he said that when ingo swan was on he was on schumann's residence and what you see is when the bankston healing what they show and they had they actually have this the neurological uh readouts that when the healing takes place in the bankston method they actually have the both the, the patient and they can be at a distance they can be in another city They have the patient and they have Bankston wired up to a to uh the e e g and that when the person is um when the person gets healed, you get this triple resonance uh schumann's residence schumann's residence times two and schumann's residence times three and they can actually show you the neurological readout of Bankston and the healer. Uh, the per- person being healed exactly the same. They both go into this resonance for about one or two seconds. And so that's the whole the whole concept that there's other things involved. It's not just simply people want to find this thing and say, "Oh, this is the part of the brain that's running it therefore this is this is where psychic phenomena comes from. And when you start looking, there's the Schumann's resonance thing because uh, Pershing was actually breaking the Schumann's resonance. he was blocking it, and Ingo Swan couldn't hit the targets. So we know there's these all these involved things that are involved. it's not that simple They're, It's almost like the brain. they say, only use ten percent of your brain, and now people are finally starting to admit, no, you use hundred percent of your brain. Your brain is totally active all the time. The blood's flowing here. It's there. It's all lighting up. It's just different parts are lighting up, and that the brain is, is, is totally active. But I would maintain that it's the mind that is affecting the brain. And I have this whole list of things that show – uh, like exercise and uh and and uh especially the meditation thing the people who meditate their brain structure actually changes there 's no way you can explain that by saying the brain is creating mind. The mind is creating the brain and it's making the brain bigger, and you start getting all this uh you know ep- epigenetic stuff where what we do the more we look at it, the more it comes down to the fact. That uh, what, what Seth says, you manifest what's around you. There's no other rule that we are based upon our decisions and what we think and what we do it is changing our body structure and that will even go to future generations. Almost like the Bible says, you know, it's passed on to three and four generations is that you even had this experiment done with people whose parents were in concentration camps and that these people had this, this genetic thing where they would, were sort of starving themselves that it actually passes through your, your DNA to the next generation. And, but it's all caused by the mind. The mind is creating the brain. It's creating the structures and uh not the other way around they uh, everybody wants to go to this idea that mind that brain is creating mind absolutely and there's a lot of evidence especially the penfield thing where the guy said no i did not raise my arm you raised my arm he knows the difference between what i did and what what was done by a probe in his brain
5: thanks for that answer that was uh that was pretty good thanks yeah thank you all right bernie Hey Grant. I uh, just wanted to um, just change gears a bit um, and go back to Tom DeLong. So, yep. you know, at the point at which I kind of got deeper into, you know, in quotes, the phenomenon was, was sort of going back and reviewing, you know, and looking at what Tom was saying um, in various interviews. And, and I had, like a lot of other people, kind of sort of put it to one side and written it off because it didn't really didn't make any sense to me. What is your take on what he's saying, his narrative? And I'm also aware of his background. I mean, he read just about every U- UFO book that was ever written, um, including things like uh, the gods of Eden, which which plays almost directly into his his, his narrative or some <laughs> of the core parts of his narrative. So I want to know, given his connections, as you well know, the obvious connections with people within military and intelligence, um, what is going on there? Right. Because on one side, we've got Tom, what he's read his clear sort of signaling and messaging about the esoteric uh, and his narrative based on a lot of what he's read, which seems to encompass just about every core story within ufology. And then you've got these very high powered individuals that don't seem to be distancing themselves. So what is the connection there? or What do you think is going on?
3: Okay, I think um, what you have to do to understand Tom DeLong is to go back to um, the 2016 interview he did with Jimmy Church. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's that one, or it's either that one or the one he did with um, um, George Knapp. And that's where yep. he talks about how it happens. I always say that people get it wrong Everybody has this story that Tom DeLong put this group together and he's, he's a super wise guy and all stuff. And it's no, it's a Bill Moore story. It's, it, it's, I got a phone call from the government. We even have this story now in Canada where the Canadian government has now admitted that they were feeding UFO information to a UFO researcher. It's the, the idea that he was contacted. Um, he, he knew somebody at Lockheed and that guy, uh, contacted him and said, Oh, would you like to come and introduce the president? At a barbecue that we're having outside of Lockheed Skunk Works facility, people can't go in the building, but they're having a parking lot barbecue. He said, "Yeah, if I can talk to the uh, the, the president." And he said, "Yeah, this is all a setup." He said, "Yeah, yeah, sure, you can talk to the president." And so he gets five minutes with the president, and uh, he gets brought onto a skiff. Now he's a civilian, so what's he doing in a Lockheed skiff? I mean, this is a uh, you know compartmentalized uh, information facility, and he's in there, and that's when um, he has the the head scientist talks to him about consciousness and uh, the other guys conf- confronting him about this crazy uh uh conspiracy stuff like and that was basically showed that they they can use him because he's believing all the stories i don't know if he knew he had this really wild conspiracy website up in uh 2012 2013 with every like the you know qAnon plus stuff on there and um, so then they said uh, he gave him the pitch and what, what the whole deal was that he gave him the pitch that you're not going to get the, you're not getting the message out and nobody's listening to you. Uh, you need me and all this sort of stuff. And then they, 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 they realized that they're in this box where they, the black ops, they, they needed more money. They needed uh, uh, stuff to help them. And that's when the guy said, Hey, this may actually work about Tom's pitch about he he could put this out. And, and so he went from being the, t- the, the, the Stephen greer guy who believed this was uh the government was the bad guys there was these good aliens and then the the government was the bad guys if you remember the story that Stephen greer given in these tapes he was hiding them under his bed and he thought that if his phone was tapped and he kept changing phones and they were on the phone and and they were after him and and all this kind of stuff and the bad uh, government guys and suddenly he's in in the skip and suddenly he changed his mind oh these are the good guys but he has to play that game oh you're the good guys because if he says you guys are a bunch of you know uh, crooks, and you're trying to kill me well, of course i'm not going to talk to them and that's why they confronted about the 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 whole conspiracy website. Then they said this may actually work, and they sent him to um to uh, Washington. And that's when the, one of the Lockheed guys was in, in the room and this other guy was in the room. And this is the same place where Leslie Kane had the meeting at Pentagon City and they said things like this do not happen on the hill, they do not happen at the White House. They happen when people, when men like this sitting behind tables decide to take the football and move the the, the ball down the field. Then they send it to NASA and then they send they sent him to Ames, then they sent him to the general in in, in uh in uh, colorado and they sent him to the general in uh, wright patterson mccaslin and the mccaslin started to bring all these people and they put all these people together for him the only person he really contacted was 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 uh john podesta that he made the contact to john podesta and then john podesta phoned him back two months later and said this is important i need you to come to washington and then he goes there and this is when the disclosure thing that's happening right now that's when it all started it was it was hillary clinton and john podesta i'll guarantee you when history is written it was them that started this whole thing even hillary came on uh, um, the, the the Kimmel Show, and it was supposed to do it in fall of 2015, but she didn't get it till spring of 2016, where she talked about, oh, they've changed the name. It's, it's the new nomenclature. It's called UAPs now, and so this this thing was all arranged. But but Tom made this pitch, and um, so he 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 went into the whole thing of. These guys were talking about, you know, and military people will talk that way. That's the way they think. That's what this whole thing is now about the technology. Uh, there's there's evil Chinese and there's evil uh, Russians and there's evil Afghans and anybody who isn't our friend. And, and the, the Japanese used to be evil guys. They're good guys now. And and you need, in order to maintain a 700 or $800 billion defense budget, which is almost now, you need enemies. So you, you're always going to think uh, we, we've got these enemies. We've got to be careful. We can't trust anybody. And, uh, so you, you, you build a scenario and Tom started to go into this whole thing. And then he started this, this crazy thing about the, the evil greys. Cause they're, they're hive mentality, which is true. I mean, this is a hive mentality. This, this is, uh, the, everything working as a one, that's the number one message of the aliens is the oneness message. Everybody has to work together like the a Super Bowl football team. And if everybody's not working together, then you're not going to win the game and this kind of stuff. So Tom started to get into this, this, uh, evil alien. He's backed off a lot, a little bit about that. But he got into that. And he was getting that from these these military guys, who uh, wanted this thing of of weapons. So he went down that that road. I don't think they really told him that much. They they, they would give him hints at you know look at ancient stuff, but it, a lot of the stuff Tom was was adding into the stuff like with Chris Bledsoe, the story that you know he he offered all his money to Chris Bledsoe for production of his his story, but he wanted to add reptilians. And of course, Chris said, absolutely no way. I mean, the story's going to be told the way it happened. There was no reptilians in the story. But they wanted this adversarial thing because he's in Hollywood. So you need good aliens versus bad aliens. Otherwise, nobody really cares and this sort of stuff. And uh, you but you start hearing people like like when you hear people under uh, say above him or do you think that that he thinks the same as the rest of them. But when you take a Jim, Jim Semivan, Jim Semivan says, I don't think I'll ever understand this in my life. I don't think it's a threat. He told that to Melinda Leslie four times, and he told he said it one time in print. He actually said it as well. I do not think this is a threat. So Tom's still running around saying it's a threat. Well, his partner there is saying it's not a threat, and I think that that Semivan knows more than than Tom DeLong or uh, even uh, Elizondo. There's some disagreements between what Elizondo says and what Tom DeLonge says. I think he made a couple of bad mistakes in interviews with uh, various people, and he basically, they really didn't tell him all that much about what's going on. And the second thing you got to remember is we assume that they know everything. And and when you see uh, Semivan saying, I don't think I'm ever going to understand this, it, it, this is beyond us, it's, it's consciousness, it's multidimensionality, and these kind of things, you realize that it's all bravado, it's all... Um, you have to if you go into the congress and you want to get money you got to say like we're five billion dollars away from building a flying saucer and tom was doing out of the program we're going to build a flying saucer you've got to do that we got to cure the cancer we need five billion dollars because if you go into the senate and say we haven't got a clue what's going on they're going to say please leave and don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. They're, they're, you, have to, you have to sell this thing. So that's what they're doing now. They're selling the fear thing, even though Semivan says, I do not believe it's a threat. And a number of them have said, I do not think this thing is a threat. Even they asked the Secretary of the Air Force. Uh, uh, Brian Bender asked the Secretary of the Air Force. He said, no, I don't think this is a threat, but if I'm asked to uh, deal with it, I will deal with it. Sort of like I'll salute and do whatever i got to do. But no, we've been dealing with this forever and I don't believe it's a threat. So you got to remember that that i think they know a lot less than what people think they know they're speculating the same as you and i are speculating otherwise they wouldn't be asking for this money from congress they're trying to trying to figure this thing out even the idea that it's technology that we're going to get this thing and we're going to build a flying saucer and if we got the metal and i even asked hal put off about that i said hal this this has got to be a ports this has got to be stuff they're dropping there it's like manifestations like in a, in a, a physical seance where they they drop a coin or they drop some sort of symbolic thing to you or whatever i said they're just just dropping this stuff you don't fly across the galaxy and then little pieces start falling off the flying saucer this doesn't make any sense at all or yeah um jacques valet and tyler d both said the same thing and and bigelow said the same thing it's gifting it's gifting field big bob bigelow said oh yeah there was the roswell crash but there was one in china and there was one in russia and there was one in south america i think they're seeding them and this is the when you start changing the attitude and understanding that that the the, the or as as Jim Semivan was asked, who's running it? John Alexander asked him, who's running it? in, in blank, Who in the government is running it? And he said, they're running it. They're in charge. They're running the show. We really are just sort of trying to catch up and we're trying to figure out what's going on here. So I think when you come to Tom DeLong, we always have the idea that he has this inside track and they've got it all figured out. I really don't think they really have as much figured out as, as people think they do. And you've got to remember that Tom DeLong, I think was sort of uh, cut off and that there's, this is a program that has been under operation or you even get this thing about, I was mentioned at the beginning of the show, that there's this idea that you can't interact with civilians. So, and I may be wrong and I'll apologize if I get this wrong, but the way I understand the situation that you have to retire. So you see all these guys, Semivans retired, Alzando's retired, uh, Justice is retired, Mellon's retired. You, these guys can interact with civilians, but if you're in there, they talk about the fact that you've got a lawyer following you around. you can't interact with civilians that's why uh, ATIP only dealt with with uh, military engagements with um with uh, crafts and stuff like that and that um you, because you can't interact with with the um civilians you you end up in a situation where uh you're very limited in, in what you, you can you can get and they don't have the answer. I don't think I don't think they have the experiencer answer the, the idea of consciousness. That may be done in DARPA, but again they have the problem that uh nobody's talking to the experiencer. The only one I know that they're directly talking to is uh um is um Chris Bledsoe and uh Whitley Strieber has indicated. He's mentioned some of the names of these people that he's engaged with. Uh but again um I think it's very limited, the number of experiencers. They're doing it through the Milab, but I'm not sure if the Milab is, is aggressive as aggressive it, as it used to be. But uh, the consciousness and the the interaction, uh, we have to sort of always keep in mind that they're playing the game that they know. Because if they don't say they know and they're close, they're not going to get any they're, – they're playing the fear game plus the game that they, they're on the verge of, of this – technology and everybody goes yeah okay i'll put in five billion dollars you know it's 780 billion dollar defense budget we're not going to miss five billion dollars and everybody sees technology and and opportunity and patents and stuff like that which there is a lot of patents people have made piles of money on ufo stuff that was given to them by the intelligence behind the phenomena
5: great thanks yeah i'm i'm aware that uh just recently lose sort of more more or less distance and distanced himself from some of Tom's statements, uh, kind of clearly for the first time, which I thought was interesting, which uh, sort of helps kind of clear things up a bit from my from my my angle. Nice. you're up.
7: Hey Grant,
1: so um, I, I got a question uh, ear- earlier today, and uh, here you brought up that the former head of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. Uh, Ben Rich uh, in his 1993 comments to Jan Harzen uh, uh, about ESP. At that that event, um, he also said, allegedly said, that the UFO technology um, that they had was locked up in black projects and that it would take an act of God um, to ever get the UFO technologies out um, to benefit humanity. Do you think maybe the threat narrative... Uh, is a technique used by uh, DeLong and Mellon to to get the UFOs in the hands of Congress and out of these Black projects? Is it the act of God that Ben Rich was referring to?
3: Um, well, that, that comes to the Wilson leak where they described the fact that um, – Wilson leak was one where they described the fact that it's been taken over, that it's it doesn't have any oversight anymore. And you hear Hal put off talking about that, that the problem that they have with the UFO thing – was that the black ops guys may have it, but it's all stovepipe. They always had this thing about it, it was stovepipes, so nobody knows what anybody is doing. Jack valet talked about the same thing, and and so the the they they wanted it moved because um, as they described, everybody had a, a piece of the craft, or you know, if it was uh, you know computer looked, computer, you would send it to a computer company, but no, nobody was talking, so that was part of the problem that they wanted to move it. Because it was, as, as Eric Davis on this interview that I've got on Facebook today, Eric Davis said, they ain't getting anywhere. I mean, they basically shut it down in 1989. They, they couldn't figure out anything. And so what, and he said the problem was that if you were in the program, and he's, he's got some connection with the UFO program, uh, but he said, if you suddenly um, say, okay, I've got something, and I'm going to go talk to this guy, because he's the expert on it, you can't talk to the guy, because it's a black program. And that's where he said it was like, and he said the cost of the security for the black program was many times the cost of the program and that it it had completely stalled. And that he claimed in this interview that they've actually reduced the number of black programs because they're so inefficient. They're so bad at, at communication. So that was part of the thing that they wanted to do is get it out of the, the black world where people on the street could access it. So you hear about this um, used to be called the Invisible College when we talked to Semivan or when Melinda talked to Semivan. I'd heard about this thing about the cosmic club, which um, yeah, he confirmed that it existed. and There was over 50 people. Now all these people are very secret. They're in behind the scenes. Uh, there's Diane pasalka and there's, uh, you know, some religion professors and stuff who are all interacting with each other. But again, there it comes to this idea that everybody's going to try to get a patent. So you're not going to put your stuff out, but it's the idea to get it into the hands of experts where everybody can talk about it. So I think that's what they're trying to do is move it out of these black op things where they've, uh basically taking control or if you know the story of um in the nineteen nineties when when the, the area fifty one happened um senator bird was on the appropriations committee so the appropriations committee was the committee that runs all the money that hands out the money for the US government so Byrd says to his guys on the committee he says hey are we doing UFOs at Area 51 and they all go I don't know and he said well if we're doing Area 51 UFOs we're, we're paying for it. We know what's going on. So they sent this guy by the name of Dick D'Amato to Area 51. And you hear these stories. He went, he went to everybody, he went to Stanton Freeman, he went to, uh, you know, George Knapp, he went to all these different things. He actually got on the base and he talked to this one high level guy who said, I'm not going to talk. And, and then um, D'Amato said to him, uh, uh, well, you know, he said, I'm not going to talk unless my boss says I can talk. So he goes to the, basically the head guy at EG&G that runs the, Thing. And he said, I don't care. I wasn't around. If he wants to talk about UFOs, let him talk about UFOs. And then he went back and the guy said, no, I'm not talking, not talking. So DeMato spent all his time and then he goes and he, he this story, he goes back and if, this is in citizen's hearing. I asked Jesse Marcel whether I could tell the story and Jesse went and told it. And this is a story where Jesse gets contacted by DeMato, and he says, I want to talk to you about Roswell. And Jesse said, well, I really can't add anything. He said, everything I've said, I've ever said in public, I really can't help. You. He said, no, maybe I'd like to tell you something. And he takes them to the sub-basement in the Capitol. And this is where there's a story that I I have uh, told before. I interviewed these two ladies in their 80s who told the story about the the sub-basement of the Capitol had the bodies and the crafts. And they were told the story in 1948. So anyway, it's the same place. Now they've got a big conference room there. And Jesse says he goes in this big conference room and there's the founding fathers on the wall. It's massive with security and codes on the door and all this kind of stuff. And he sits at the end of the table and Dick Dick D'Amato's got uh, Whitley Strieber's book, Majestic, which is the idea of Majestic 12 and Roswell. And he taps the book and he says, I just wanted you to know, Jesse, this is for real. And Jesse said, well, I know it's for real. So when are you going to tell the people? And he said, well, if it was up to me, I would have told the people yesterday, but it's not up to me. He said, I'm just here to uh, determine the amount of the cost of the security. And he said, there's a, a dark group that has the technology. They have the control of all this. They're not elected. And I've heard from a number of people who have tried to contact D'Amato. I've heard all these inside stories. D'Amato is still absolutely furious that, that he could not, dis- that, that these people have control of this stuff. So there may be something, but as, as Eric Davis said in this interview, if you listen on my Facebook, uh, he said it's probably, what did he say? One one thousandths or one one, one, one one thousandths of a percent of the government would know. It's very, very limited, that number of people. And I remember um, there was a story, one high-level scientist, where somebody asked him, could you name the 12 guys that are basically running it? And he said, yeah, I could probably tell you who the 12 guys are. But then you'd go to the New York Times, and I'd have to deny I ever said it, and then nobody had ever talked to me again. And that's true. That's where I got cut out of this loop. I, I knew some of these guys in the early days. And then I, I, I mentioned some high, very high-level persons I'm going to talk to, or two people. And that was it. It was like, Get Cameron Kiff, keep his mouth shut. Don't talk to him anymore. And they, they basically haven't talked to me since. But uh, the, there's a, a few people, like even the people that you hear like help put off and Eric Davis and, and uh, Bigelow, these people did a lot of studies back in the in the days. And these were high-level people, Kit Green and stuff they They know a little bit more than than you and I, but they're li- they 're locked in the same way that they can 't talk about it because if they talk secure stuff it 's what's called intelligence blowback, you could lose the security clearance worse than that. nobody'll talk to you again. They'll say, oh, this guy's got a big mouth. He can't can't keep quiet. And that's what they're trying to figure it out as well. So they're trying to find out who's above them, who's got the secrets and getting them to talk. So everybody's playing this little game that they're going to figure this thing out. And it all breaks apart. Once everybody keeps their little secret and their little thing, even in the UFO community, I say it's the same thing. People will say to me, Hey, I, I got a story. I, I, can you keep your motion? Uh, can you can you keep it quiet? And I say, No, I'm going to tell everybody. If you tell me, I'm telling everybody. It's like I'm tired of it in the UFO community. People are always playing this thing. I got a secret and I'm going to keep my secret. And it's just, it, it's killing the field. But um, it, it's the old deal that people want the fame or the money or the, the ego or whatever. And everybody's playing this game knowing that this is the biggest story that's ever been told and somebody's going to be very famous and everybody's going to get it. And everybody's playing this hide the ball thing.
1: So do you think that the new um, official UAP office proposed in the 2022 national defense budget is a step in a mechanism to get the UFO technology out of the world of black projects and to benefit the public? Or do you think it's just an attempt for insiders to get more money sent towards their black projects?
3: Okay, I'm just guessing, but I'm saying that what it is, if you read the, the this, this five-page thing, what they're trying to do is they're trying to stop the stove piping, they're trying to get this, the, the, the and, that, and that's a positive step. They're trying to get the secretary of defense to be in control of the project, to get it out of these rogue things where nobody's got oversight and get it. Cause they'll, they'll say, uh, if you have any hardware, you have to identify it. So it's all going to be in, in, in the, um, in the hands of the secretary of defense but it's still gonna be a black program. So that's what I said, I was talking to Jimmy Church. I said, Jimmy, we're no further ahead. I said, when you take a look at the original UAP uh, report uh, and 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 I said, it's 400 pages, he said, no, it's not, it's 88. I said, well, that's the problem, Jimmy. I mean, you, you, you say it's 88. First thing it came out, it was 74. And then uh, Danny Sheehan comes out and says, no, it's 400 pages. I mean, if we can't even find out how many pages are in the classified report, what this is this? just It's all still secret. I mean, you're not going to learn anything. And the, the original report, I mean, I heard was 400 pages. That's what Danny Sheehan said. And there were six pages that were released. That's 1.5% of the report that was released. to the, the, the rest of it's all still in black budgets. The only difference is going to be is there's not going to be the stove piping and it's all going to be in one single compartment where it's all control, but it's all still going to be black budget. It's still, they're not going to release anything. Even these upper camera reports, they're going to be classified reports. They're not going to tell you and I, we are not going to learn what's going on. It's still going to be black budget. It's just going to be under control of the Secretary of Defense, so they don't have this situation where you have 25 different departments and everybody's got a piece of the puzzle and they're not talking to each other. That's what they're trying to stop, I think, is to get it in control. Now, you got Danny Sheehan in the background where they said to Danny Sheehan, and when he, he did the investigator, uh, inspector in investigation, they said, Oh, we're going to do this thing. Exactly what they're talking about now. We're going to get it all under control and we're going to get control of it and, and reporting, uh, to the right uh, thing and all this kind of stuff. And Danny said, Well, yeah, that, that's a good start, but that's not what we want. We're, we, we want a full investigation and we, we're going to tell you who's actually involved and we want you to interview all those people. And so hopefully that happens, but. Right now, it's it's basically, they still have the idea that if they get it all under one department and they get all the hardware instead of just pieces of the hardware and you get it all together, what these people know, when that department knows and get it all, uh, thing, they're going to get this, be able to get this technology and then we're going to be more efficient at taking out Taliban tents. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.